sometimes your breath will smell and sometimes your urine will just smell. And this is maybe getting too intimate, but sometimes my piss smells like rubber bands. And (laughs) (laughs) and that's how I say, oh, like something's going on there. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. For episode 59, we're going back to Platinum Games for more highly technical, or in our case, button mashy, hack and slash action with their popular 2009 classic, Bayonetta. We'll take our usual deep dive into the game itself, and we'll also discuss the character of Bayonetta and how she is viewed by those inside and outside of the gaming community. We even have a special message from a good friend of the show regarding Bayonetta as a character, so make sure you stay tuned for those final thoughts. You can listen to our show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast.
So are we going to talk about diet and nutrition tonight, Rich? Uh, yeah, man, obviously. It's on the outline, right? Yeah, I saw that. I got all excited. So uh, tell me why you put keto in the outline. You know, I mentioned last time when uh, we were on the air that one of my New Year's resolutions was to drop some pounds. And so uh, I started keto, uh, I guess about a week and a half ago. It just seemed like a diet that would be good for me. I'm a big meat eater anyway, and I do like vegetables a lot. I tell you, man, I never thought I would miss fruit this much in my life, though. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's been going really well and been uh, doing pretty well with it. That's good. I've been practicing something like that for a very long time, and I've been doing it pretty hardcore for about the past four months. And I was at a point where a friend of mine was coming to visit from New Jersey to run the Austin Marathon. I may have mentioned this on the show, but I can't remember. Yeah. And I was really out of shape around November of last year in really, really bad shape, like grossly overweight. So I decided to use her trip here as like a goal because she was she was actually coming in on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So on November 14th, I started a hardcore keto regimen with uh, intermittent fasting. And now I look like uh, Christian Bale and the Machinist. And I'm not kidding. No. Like I, I, I <laughs> That's not dropped, good, man. <laughs> I dropped all my body fat and I look... I don't look sickly, but I look like kind okay. of scrawny. I was looking in the mirror today and saying, I got to start lifting because everything just melted off. Shoot, man. You're going to have to give me some pointers when we get off the air. Well, I, have you considered intermittent fasting? Uh, no, I haven't looked into that or heard anything about that. Well, when I do eat, it's keto. But the whole key is that Monday through Friday, only one meal a day. So I only mm. eat dinner Monday through Friday. And it has to be good, you know, and it's super high fat. Well, you know, I work at a company that makes meat products and meat snacks. So a lot of nights I have a bag of pork rinds with some jerky and uh, with a little bit of salsa. So that's just pure fat. And we also make animal fats. So I have just like a million jars of duck fat and pork lard in my house. And I cook my (laughs) Brussels sprouts in them. And I use like a third of the jar just to cook like a pound of Brussels sprouts. So I bet our listeners mouths are just watering right now. (laughs) If they're not hovering over a toilet, this is all about lard. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I wish you well with it. And if you need any pointers or help or maybe some samples, (laughs) absolutely, man, stay in touch about it. Cause I've been eating that jerky you sent me for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And I know I've been meaning to send you pork rinds. I know you're, fan so yes we'll have to talk off the air there's some ideas i had of how to best get that to you awesome thanks man sure yeah so um i'm drinking coffee right now yeah that's and uh yeah (laughs) it's uh what time is it's 8 30 at night right now but uh i can really just go to sleep easily even after drinking coffee it's not a problem for me but the thing is is i'm actually drinking it black right now which i never do i'm always a cream and sugar type of guy have you tried butter coffee or mct oil or anything in your coffee dude man all of the stuff you're talking about is like way out of my uh nutritional food knowledge right now so oh well i mean everybody has to start somewhere as a matter of fact we should probably say that keto is eating high fat and almost no sugar with your protein kind of somewhere in the middle there 
And what that does is activates your body's fat stores because rather than using glucose from the sugar as energy. Yeah, starch. Right, yeah, from starch. Your body starts producing ketones as energy. And that burns the fat instead, right. which is a slower burn. But if you're really active anyway, you know, your body definitely needs the starches if you're already small. But, you know, for somebody like me who's trying to drop some pounds, I'm uh, letting that process take its course so that uh, it can eat away the fat that I have. And I actually just bought some uh, strips from Amazon that are coming in the mail that uh, I can piss on and it can tell me if my uh, ketosis is in effect. Nice. I've never done that, but I can tell like sometimes your breath will smell and sometimes your urine will just smell. And this is maybe getting too intimate, but sometimes my piss smells like rubber bands and... <laughs> <laughs> And that's how I say, oh, like something's going on there, you know, and I drink tons and tons of water. So it's not like I'm oh, yeah. not hydrated enough. I drink so much water. So, but you'll notice stuff like that. I, I promise you. And you'll start having weird cravings, not for the stuff that you're not eating, but you'll start having cravings for just like weird stuff that you had like as a kid that you won't even remember that you liked. I'm telling you, it's... <laughs> Just wait, just wait. <laughs> I'm craving Frankenberry cereal right now. No. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> when I wrote that down, I had no idea we'd put that much time into it, but that's great. Let's go ahead and roll into the concert cast, man. You got anything? I do. So I think Corey and I have crossed a big band off of our bucket list, and we're like at a loss for for bands that are still out there that we have yet to see. Because uh, last Tuesday night we went and saw Saves the Day, and they are a band that are from New Jersey, and they're from a time when I was going to shows constantly, like when I was in high school, going to pop punk shows all the damn time. But somehow I never saw Saves the Day live and they were just around all the time. I can't believe I didn't cross paths with them. But they're a very special band to me. When they came along in the pop punk scene, they added a little bit of emo to it. They weren't an emo band. They were like a straight pop punk band, but they were very serious. And they had this like kind of preppy look to them. They were like very classy and they just had mm -hmm. this like mystique to them that they really kind of changed the game when they came along. And they were so good. Their album, Through Being Cool, I think is a masterpiece front to back. Not a single note is wasted or wrong on that album. The guitar tones are incredible. Uh, the vocal delivery is amazing. The songwriting lyrics, I can put it on anytime. It's just an incredible album. Their whole body of work, and they're still making albums to this day. They had a new album last year that was pretty good. They're just one of my favorite bands for a very long time. And same with Corey. So they actually played at Stubbs a couple of years ago and we missed it. But they came around and played the Mohawk last week. So there you go. we got to go to our favorite venue to see this band that we've been dying to see. And they were really good. It was like as if I wrote the set list. Like if I was like... Uh, saves oh, okay. That's always cool. Yeah, yeah. Like if I was like their manager, but also like a huge fan, it was like... Okay, you need to play all these deep cuts and popular songs and maybe like one or two from the new album, but don't overdo it. And then play all of Sean's favorite deep cuts. Like they played these songs <laughs> that I was like, oh man, like I love that song. I didn't even realize that that was like a song that they would ever play live. 
And they they played like three or four of those like types of songs for me. It was a great, great show. Uh, So now we're like, where do we go from here? You know, South by Southwest is going on right now. And we're actually not like super interested in that because they have this whole like bracelet system where you have to buy this like, I don't know how much it is, but it's like over $100 to buy a bracelet to have access to all the shows. It's really confusing. But there are like free concerts and free record store shows. I have gone to some of those in the past, but we just kind of go on hiatus from going to shows during South by Southwest and just wait for normalcy to resume. So, Oh, you know, I just said normalcy. You know, I learned that normalcy is not a real word. It was invented as a campaign slogan. I forget the guy, but he said uh, return to normalcy. He wanted to use as his campaign slogan. But Uh normalcy is not a word. It's normality. So I'm waiting for the Austin concert scene to return to normality before I go to any more shows. How'd you like all that? I learned that the other day on a podcast. And so now I have to make myself stop saying normalcy. It's not a word. (laughs) We've actually got Merge 30 going on right now around us. It's in Chapel Hill, which is about 45 minutes away. There's some great shows going on right now that my wife and I were looking at today. But unfortunately, the show that we want to go see is on like a Monday night. And so we were like, we definitely can't do that. You know, we're the kind now that are just so exhausted that we're going to bed at like 830 and 9 o'clock at night. And so I definitely had to break out the coffee tonight to be able to make it through this call. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's rough. Like on yeah. a Monday or Tuesday night, if it's that far away, you know, no way that can happen. So as far as the concert cast is concerned, I definitely wanted to mention something that was on Twitter the other day. Our, our buddy Pocky X had posted that he had downloaded, I believe it was Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. I was really impressed. I was like, yeah, all right. You know, our recommendations are coming through. At least someone is, uh, you know, taking our advice on some music. I'm happy to see that he downloaded that. And I, uh, man, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's awesome. I still haven't gotten into them, but I need to be in the mood if I want to listen to heavy metal. One of these days I will. Maybe I could just burn you a CD or something and send it to you of, uh, you know, some of my favorite stuff. So oh, that would be fun. you can just pop it in when you need to. Yeah, put it in my car. My car has a CD player, so. They're not making those anymore, you know. We've got like a 2016, and it's like the last year that they uh, put in uh, CD players in cars. It's all like digital music now. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, my car, mm. luckily my car has both. It's an 08, and I have the input cable and a CD player. So I got the best of both worlds. But yeah, I don't know, Rich. I mean, people don't collect CDs anymore. We just have to face it. Oh, I didn't get that memo. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to roll into my concert cast. I bought some tickets last week, and my wife doesn't know about this. I kind of kept it a secret from her. And I'm not sure what I'm going to give them to her, maybe for our anniversary. I mentioned that for our 15-year anniversary, we're coming to Austin. We're seeing Judas Priest, but uh, my wife is a huge fan of Beck. And I've seen him probably five times. I love him, too. And so she's only seen him once. I took her a few years ago, but uh, he's playing locally. And also one of our other favorite bands is playing with him, Spoon. I think they're from the Austin area. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. I saw them actually the first time I was in Austin in 06. I went to a free South by Southwest concert with Echo and the Bunnymen and Spoon was one. Oh, wow. That was a great night. But yeah, they're an awesome band. We've talked about them before, I think. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about Spoon and why they're so significant to my wife and I is that my wife was eight and a half months pregnant and we went to see Spoon about an hour and a half out of town (laughs) and uh, just people giving her looks as she's walking up and down the aisle. And so we always have this thing where when my wife's pregnant, we always go to shows, you know, because we feel like the babies can like listen to it. And it's a story you can tell them. You know, you were at a Spoon concert right before you were right. about to come out. And all my kids are named after musicians. I don't know if you knew that or not. Spoony Spoon and Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other band that's coming with them, and I don't know a lot about this band, but I've heard good things, is Cage the Elephant. Are you familiar with any of their music? Yeah, a little bit. They're like, yeah, just kind of a, a punky-ish indie rock band that's kind of okay. popular. Yeah, I think you would like them. All right, well, it'd be somebody fun to listen to, you yeah. know, and maybe check some of their stuff out before the show. And uh, as always with the concert cast, I like to mention a new artist that I'm listening to. And you know, Sean, I've been really into this new wave music from the 80s. And I sent you a message, uh, it's been weeks ago, maybe closer to a month ago, that I was listening to this guy from the 80s and I was like, oh my God, man, this guy has so many hits. Why do I not know this guy's name? And I asked you, I said, do you know this guy? And you said no. And I was like, well, listen to these songs. You know these songs, right? And you're like, oh my God, how do we not know this guy's name? You know, the guy's name is Howard Jones. He's British. Again, you know, I've been listening to XM and um, he keeps popping up and I'm like, man, I really dig this music. And so I've bought two of his albums. One's Humans Lib and the other one is Dream Into Action. And man, he's got like five, like top 10 songs from the 80s. For whatever reason, as big as a fan of the 80s as I am, I've never heard his name. But uh, a few of the hits, and some of you may know these, and if you don't, throw them up on YouTube and check them out. Things Can Only Get Better, Life in One Day, No One Is to Blame, What Is Love, and New Song are five incredible chart-topping hits. And the rest of the albums are really, really good, too. My wife and I have been really digging this guy's music, and... uh, just wanted to let everybody know that's what I've been listening to for the last month and just sort of pass it along as uh, something everyone should check out. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to throw out a recommendation for a live action television show. Did you ever think you would be hearing that from me? I was going to say, wait, you're watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a reality show as well? No, it's not a reality show. I won't sink that low. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're watching the Osbournes or something. No, no. So for those who don't know, I have this like kind of hierarchy of leisure time where at the top, it's books and video games always wrestling for my time. And beneath that is movies. Beneath that is everything else. And usually anime is kind of next and then everything else. So as a consequence of that, like carefully selected use of my leisure time, I almost never watch TV, like live action TV, reality shows, scripted shows. We talked about Black Mirror. I've watched Stranger Things. I've watched a few things, right? But I typically don't. I just stay away from it so I can have more time to read and play video games. 
But this show kept coming into my radar called A Discovery of Witches. And I thought it would be cool to talk about given our game this month. Yeah. It turned out that it's a cool show. And it came onto my radar because I heard that there was little to no political undertones. And that's kind of another reason I stay away from modern TV is that they tend to be politically loaded with uh, yeah. all kinds of subtext that I'm not interested or don't agree with. You, you, Dude, you're you know preaching to the choir. So I had read that Discovery of Witches is not like that. And my wife and I were watching the first season, which is eight episodes. We have two episodes left and I'm really quite enjoying it. It is kind of a slow burn. And what it is, believe it or not, it's a freaking like paranormal romance. It's like... Oh, it's dude, like my wife will love that. It's, it's not uh, teenagers, though. It's it's adults, and it's a really like classy show. It's beautifully shot. It's from the UK. It, it originally okay. aired on Sky TV in the UK. It stars Teresa Palmer and Matthew Good, if you know who they are. And the first season is going to air on AMC starting on April 7th. And then they have signed on for the second and third season. So my wife and I are way ahead of the game because I got the show off the deep web and <laughs> it's not even out in America yet. <laughs> uh, but when it does come out, I would highly recommend it to anybody who likes, like if you like True Blood, it's not really like True Blood and it's not really like mm -hmm. Twilight that I know of, but it's... It's just a really good fantasy. It has, obviously, witches and vampires. There's no werewolves. My wife was very disappointed. There's no lichens. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they got... My wife will be, too. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's not like open shirt buff sexiness. It's more like classy, like the vampire guy always wears a suit. And it's hard to explain. It's just very elegant and classy i keep using those words but that's how i can describe it what's the name again it's called a discovery of witches and it's going to get big it's, it's starting to get a lot of buzz and as soon as it starts playing on amc it's going to get big and you can say that your buddy sean told you about it before it was cool <laughs> well my buddy Sean is super cool because he just appeared on a very well-known podcast in the circle of video gaming, one known as the Audio Masochist Podcast, <laughs> a.k.a. Retro Fandango. Yeah, it was, I was finally on Retro Fandango, which was so awesome. And oh, it was a great show, man. Yeah, thank you. Everybody should go check this out, Retro Fandango episode 108. I've been a huge fan of theirs forever. That's uh, Buried on Mars and Ramvox over there, Kevin and Richard. I listen to every episode of their show, whether or not I make it through the whole thing or fast forward most of it is another question, but I at least try to listen to every episode of their show. So it was a real honor to finally be on with them. And as I was talking to them, I was just like, this is so great. Like I'm in this finally talking to these guys and I had a really good time. And then I was like, Man, I hope that came out good. And then when I listened to when I listened back to it, it was really good. So I'm like really happy with the way the episode came out. And it sounds like they were too. So I hope their audience and there's some crossover between people who listen to us and listen to them. I hope everybody really enjoyed it because I had an 
absolute blast being on the air with those guys. Yeah, you busted their chops a few times, which was awesome. I think they really appreciate people giving it back to them just because they're really, really funny guys. And uh, I think I compared them one time when I was on the show to the uh, Stadler and Waldorf of uh, video gaming podcasts. Yeah, they're just like two crotchety men. But uh, man, we love those guys. They're so great and so funny. And uh, glad you got to appear on their show, man. Yeah, we've had uh, Kevin on our show a few times. We've got to figure out a way to get Rambox on. we got to make him sign on to RF Gen and play a game <laughs> with us so he can be on the yeah. show. Kevin says he's anti-forum, so I don't know if we're ever going to make that happen uh, or not. Okay. That's fair. That's fine. I'm sure he doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good segue, man, because one of the things that you guys talked about on the show was anime. They wanted you to kind of talk about anime because Kevin has this quote-unquote friend um, <laughs> that's maybe trying to get into anime, but is not really sure. And he watched Ghost in the Shell, and uh, he was rather opinionated about not enjoying Ghost in the Shell. And that's um, something that you and I have talked about on the show, you know, that I needed to watch that. Well, lo and behold, I watched Ghost in the Shell a few days ago, and I did enjoy it, actually. I thought it was a fun movie. I think maybe my criticism of it would be I didn't quite like the way it ended, but after I thought about it a little more and kind of processed that this was a a manga and that this was just sort of a small excerpt of that, you know, because the ending of Ghost in the Shell, I'm not going to spoil it like we do most of the games on here, but it's kind of very open-ended and I felt like as it ended, I still had a lot of questions about what was going on and what the future was going to be. And I just kind of took a step back from it and I said, you know, because it is part of a of a manga that this story could continue and you know they've they've made a few follow-up films too now i don't know if they were kind of direct follow-ups so you can speak to that but uh i got really really into it i love the ideas behind the film and i think more than anything i just didn't want it to end you know what i mean yeah that's really cool and I, i'm i'm actually not familiar with the sequel material i've never seen the second movie mm-hmm. and there's a couple of shorter tv series but i've heard there's one called Ghosts in the Shell Arise that people really like. So one day I do want to watch that. But I'm glad you got to watch the movie. And like I told Kevin, I don't think the movie is for everyone. I don't think everybody's going to love it. But if you like yeah. hard sci-fi and if you like speculative... Like we talked about speculative fiction a couple months ago. This is a supreme work of speculative fiction because it talks about AI and human consciousness and how they interact with each other and where does one begin and one end and that's something that i'm very fascinated with i mentioned i read uh, ray kurzweil's book the singularity is near last year and that book is just full of these crazy ideas like what you were saying about the manga i have it i haven't read it but i've heard it's like extremely extremely dense like if you if you think the film was dense the manga is beyond i've heard it's hard to read actually that's why i haven't attempted it yet it reminded me a lot of like terminator you know that kind of rise of the machines and i actually like this setting a lot more than i liked akira i don't know what it was i you know because i was thinking i was like what's the difference why do i like this more they're both sci-fi films you know i kept saying oh well one's sci-fi okay one's a little violent i kind of like that a little bit better 
you know, like the gunplay and stuff like that. I don't know. It seems like that vision of the future, for some reason, I'm more interested in films that have things like cyborgs and, and things like that in them. And, you know, maybe that's just something I prefer. I mean, RoboCop is my favorite film of all time, you know. So I do feel like that's kind of interesting, this idea of replacing body parts. And kind of the thing for me is I'm like, we're not too far away from that. Every time I see someone walking down the street with like a Bluetooth in their ear, I'm like, there's going to be a time when those things are just implanted in us. It's not going to be that far off into the future, I believe. No, it's not. I really think that our need to have things quickly and right now, you know, this sort of fast food culture that we live in, I feel like we're going to let maybe our standards, our ethics go to uh, embrace these sort of quote unquote technological advances and uh, just what movies like that make me think of. Yeah, I think that as this movie and as many episodes of Black Mirror illustrate, we're going to get what we're asking for, which is way more than we realize. Yeah. I'll just give you one small example. Augmented contact lenses. They're coming. So you can have contact lenses in your eyes that you can look around and it'll search like I see these scissors on my desk and I could just pull up an Amazon link by thinking about it or something for these scissors. But then here's what happens. You hack your contact lenses so that you have facial recognition so that when you're walking down the street, you can steal people's identities or somebody hacks your contact lenses and they can see what you see. It's going to be privacy mayhem. It's going to be a beautiful nightmare. I know we're on the cusp of like a crazy dystopian future. And Ghost in the Shell is just one of those masterpieces that it shows us what one of our potential futures could be, which is that we're almost like completely merged with the internet and mm-hmm. with machines. Man, yeah. Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife and I had this exact conversation on our way back from the movies last year when we went to see Upgrade, which was my favorite film of last year. Oh, man. That movie was (laughs) The day it came out on Blu-ray, man, (laughs) I had to have it. And, uh, you know, we we had a screening of it with friends. So I've seen it a few times since I bought it. But uh, same principle, you know, just like you said, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) All right, man, let's roll into news. February, we always do our RF Generation Fun Drive, and I just wanted to send an update. I think Monday before the Thursday that it ended on the 28th, we had collected about 71% of our goal. And so I noticed that, you know, some people are getting a little nervous. Oh my gosh, are we going to make our goal? I don't know if we're going to do it or not. We were trying to get $1,500 to help with our server costs and to maybe consider doing a few things in the future with the site. And lo and behold, after closing on the 28th of February, we had received $1,794. And I just want to send a shout out to everyone who donated, Sean. I know you donated. I donated. Really appreciate that and appreciate everyone who supports the site, you know, how we get to do what we do is through the site. Now, the site does not pay for our podcast or anything that we do, but 
It is our springboard. It's our forums. It's where we get together with these groups and where we're able to play these games. So it's something that I definitely really enjoy giving back to. And I'm glad that so many other people feel the same way about the site as we do. So again, if you donated, thank you so much. If you didn't have a chance to donate or weren't able to, we take donations throughout the year. So, you know, just throw us a few bucks if you get a chance, if you're using our site. And uh, any amount is appreciated. So Again, thank you, and uh, you know, congratulations. We made our goal for the year. Yeah, congrats to you, and I only donated because I wanted to be in the raffle. <laughs> you uh, definitely are. I hope I'm eligible for as a staff writer slash podcaster for the site. I don't know if that's a conflict of interest. No, okay. staff members are definitely welcome. <laughs> when I do the raffle, I record it live, and I put the video up on YouTube, so everyone sees all the tickets laying out on the table. Everyone sees them getting mixed into the bowl, and everyone sees my daughter drawing those names. So definitely, you're uh, eligible for it. I'm eligible too, but being a director of the site, I just decide I'm not going to be a a part of the raffle. And plus, a lot of the stuff that's being given away is my stuff anyway. So, you know, just as far as conflict of interest, I typically sit out of that. So the next thing I wanted to mention was the 2019 NES Site Challenge. I just wanted to give a quick update on that. In February, we tried to reach the 250 game mark, and we fell a little short of that because in February we decided we were going to try to play sports titles. Well, you know, not everybody likes sport games, and there's just not a big range to do that in. But we did knock off several. And as of today, which is March the 9th, we have completed... 242 NES games, which is an incredible number of games that have been taken down to this point. Crabmaster 2000 doing a fantastic job spearheading this, and the goal for March is to get to that 300 mark if we can do it. The games that we've decided to play this month and focus on are licensed games. So any movie that's licensed after a product or that's licensed after a movie or anything like that, you can play. And that gives us more of a variety of genres this time around. So unlike sports, which kind of fizzled out a bit, I think this will be a theme that people can really get behind, you know? Yeah, totally. And I'd like to say that I beat a game for the NES Challenge. It's our next month's playthrough game. Uh, You and I both signed up kind of as a team, but I I was the one who put it on the record. I beat Dragon Warrior about a week ago. Is this some kind of talking you're doing No, not at all. Not at all. And as a matter of fact, in the roster of the beaten thing, Krabby put Playcast. Nice. Our playthroughs are not a race, especially when it's a game like (laughs) Dragon Warrior, so don't take it that way. I actually spent all of last Sunday playing Dragon Warrior, like the entire day. So that's, that's awesome, man. Able to beat it. I'm really looking forward to talking about that game oh, next month. Got some great ideas for it. So. Yeah.
All right. Well, that's the end of the news. We want to go with uh, recent pickups. I know you said you had quite a few this month. Yeah, I got some good ones. So I got to shout out Duke Togo, our friend Chris, friend of the show, former guest on the show, host of the Collector Cast, a long time ago, recommended a game. I think he was on our show called Cosmic Star Heroine, and he was talking about it coming out on, I believe, the Vita for limited run games. And I missed that way back whenever they did it. But they did a release recently on the Nintendo Switch. So I had another chance to pick it up. I was able to grab that. And it looks really nice. I haven't played the game yet. But, of course, it's like a sci-fi RPG with a female protagonist. So I was all about that. And I was glad to pick that up on the Switch from Limited Run. I got another Switch game. Uh, it's called Yonder Cloudcatcher Chronicles. It's available on other platforms. I think you can get it on the PS4. But what appealed to me about it was there's no combat in the game. It's a relaxing collecting and crafting adventure game or something like that. And I was reading all the reviews and they said it's just a really nice, pleasant game. Good for children, which, you know, sometimes that can be a good thing for the type of game that I'm looking for, but because it's not difficult, there's no combat, it really appealed to me. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. A couple of PS4 games. I got Atelier Lighty and Swell, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Sometimes you don't know until you play the game or watch a YouTube video where somebody says it right. But I try to collect all the Atelier games. I really like those because they're relaxing and pleasant and uh, I don't want to say easy. There's sometimes not that easy and there is combat. So they're really cool RPGs. I've talked about them in the past and I'm actually playing a different one, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. And by the same developer, which is Gust, they don't make a ton of games outside the Atelier series. So when they do, it usually piques my interest. So they made this game called Blue Reflection for the PS4. It was on the Vita, but it's only in Japanese, I think. And that's supposed to be like a magical girl RPG, which seems really cool. I heard the battle system is very satisfying and that it's a really cool game and pretty short. So I ended up picking that up. Uh, so I got a couple more, Rich. This is this is where it gets very interesting. I, I want to know where all this money's coming from, man. I mean, you know, we just talked about New Year's resolutions. So I can elaborate on that really quickly. I had this plan. I'm constantly selling stuff on eBay and mm-hmm. just loading hundreds of dollars into my PayPal by selling my stuff. And I had this plan to buy a computer because the computer I have right now, I basically only use for this, for running Audacity and recording our podcast. And I thought, oh, I want to buy a computer that I can play games on. But every time I saved up enough, quote unquote, money for one and started researching it, I just got overwhelmed and realized I don't know anything about computers and I don't think I want to. And I thought, what am I going to do if I get this and I'm really not into it? It'll just be a huge waste of money. And I really just like console gaming. Like, I'm just not a PC gamer and I don't want to be. So I had all this money. And, you know, the last time we spoke, Rich, I was the owner of one PlayStation Vita. And now I own three. (laughs) 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 
I <laughs> so I wanted to uh, have a a hacked or modded or custom firmware Vita, and every time I do this, I have to make a choice: do I want to buy a retail one and mod it myself, or do I want to weigh the price increase to just buy one that's already modded? And I have to weigh that against the degree of difficulty of doing the mod myself, which I'm not an expert. I'm very novice and amateurish at doing these hacks, but I I can do them sometimes. So anyway, long story short, I bought a 1000 Vita off eBay with custom firmware on it. I got it. I loved it. Beautiful shape. Does everything I wanted it to do and everything I could dream of. It's an amazing machine. I even put in the SD to Vita. It's like a memory card that goes in the game slot that you can put a micro SD card in it and then use a custom firmware to change the main memory to be that. And so I actually have a 128 gig memory card in that thing, (laughs) which is awesome. So I had that and then I thought, well, I've always wanted a Vita 2000. I've never even seen a slim Vita in person, you know, the second model. So I ended up getting one of those also with custom firmware and it came from Russia. So I have a hacked Russian Vita. (laughs) So I've peaked as a collector. I I don't need anything else. I I think I've jumped the shark. Once you have a hacked Russian Vita... (laughs) You're on the FBI list somewhere, I'm sure. Well, you know, it's funny. They wouldn't deliver it to my house, obviously. So I had to go to the post office and sign for it. And the lady there was like, oh, you got something from Russia, huh? And I was like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> I have also ordered something from Russia before and have had to go to the post office and sign for it. I've been there, my friend. Yeah. So, <laughs> And then lastly, I also got a custom firmware nintendo 3ds xl now this was more of an impulse buy because i just saw it i was like oh my god this thing is gorgeous it's a japanese monster hunter edition uh uh, 3ds xl and even though 3ds is not region free the custom firmware allows you to play whatever region you want so Mm. it is really rad looking it's like dark green and black and then it has this like gold emblem on the front of it. It's gorgeous and it's in perfect, pristine condition. And I'm really loving it. And so when we get to what are you playing, you'll see I've been playing a lot of Vita and 3DS uh, because these are my new toys and I've just been messing with them constantly. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching your Twitter feed and it's like, just finish this game, just finish this game, just finish this book, just finish that book. I'm like, Man, where does he find the time to do all this stuff? It's incredible. Uh, it's funny you should mention that. I can tell you, and that, and you can work it into your new healthy lifestyle. I wake up at 4 a.m. seven days a week. Even on Saturdays and Sundays, I wake up at 4 a.m. That way I can start drinking coffee and I can play whatever game I'm playing for like two hours and then read for two hours. And then I do that every day before work as well. I get up at 5.15 anyway, and it's just normal schedule. Yeah. Well, so a lot of things go into it. I don't have children, and I have a pretty set work schedule. So to anybody listening, I know it's not easy if you have children or if you have 
either a part-time or a varying schedule mm-hmm. or you work at nights, I get it. It's not easy to do if, if you don't have these ideal conditions that I have the privilege of, you know what I mean? But my lifestyle and, and also that my wife, like she's more on it than I am most days. Some days I just spring out of bed. Some days I tell her to squeeze my feet to wake me up. <laughs> That's <laughs> just her cute way of waking me. Just wiggle my toes. I'll wake up. TMI. Oh, it's, it's nothing like that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> she gets up and out of bed and is like walking around. and you, you, Come on, you get what I'm saying. I do try to be productive with my gaming and reading, especially as I was talking about before. So that's where I find it all the time. So anyway, Rich, that's all of my pickups. What have you been picking up lately? Well, as you know, one of the things that uh, I've really been collecting a lot of and was at the top of my list last year was games for the PS1. Got something in the mail from a Mr. Grey Ghost 81. Sent me a copy of Jumping Flash 2. I'd been looking for that and the first game as well, which I haven't been able to locate yet. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. I can go ahead and cross that one off my wish list. I also picked up a copy of Mega Man X5. As you know, I'm a big fan of all the Mega Man series. I've never played the X games, so I've just been grabbing those as I see them. They're typically fairly cheap, so I've picked those up when I can. Something else that I grabbed recently was the uh, original Grand Theft Auto game on the PlayStation. And uh, if anyone's played this, it's that top-down view. I did not have any of those games, and now I have Grand Theft Auto, and I have the Grand Theft Auto London. And I'm also looking for Grand Theft Auto 2, and I come across it all the time. But of course, I come across the Green Label Greatest Hits, and I won't put the trigger on that because I'm very anal about how my collection looks on the shelf. (laughs) And then another game that I also picked up, This is one I pick up and put down quite a lot. I had it when I was a kid, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember making it a really long way into the game. And then the jump mechanics, of course, of the early 3D and the platforming just ruined the game for me. I couldn't get past this one part. And that's a game called Nightmare Creatures. Have you ever played that one? Yes. Uh, That's the one where you're like the priest with the bolo staff running around. I think there's a female character in it, too. Okay. From what I remember, and yeah, it's a um, kind of a hack-and-slash type game where you're going to find Aleister Crowley to battle. So it's kind of a nightmarish setting, and uh, it's actually a pretty fun game. I actually enjoyed it a lot growing up. I believe I probably paid full price for it when it came out on PS1. So uh, I found it for a good price, so I just went ahead and picked up a copy. And then, um, as you know, I've been collecting RPGs on the PS1 and finally found a complete copy of Dragon Warrior 7. I've picked up several copies of this, but the manual is always missing. Went to my uh, used media store and actually had two very nice, minty-looking copies of Dragon Warrior 7 for PS1, so I grabbed that. That's awesome. I actually only added that one to my collection kind of recently, too. I think I bought it last year, so that's awesome. I also picked up today Kirby's Dream Course on the SNES. I hear this is sort of like a golf game. Yeah. I've never played it, but, you know, I love Kirby games, and uh, I love golf games, so this sounded like it was 
pretty neat, so I thought I would go ahead and check it out, and uh, got it for a decent price, so it was worth picking up. And then I also picked up today for two bucks a copy of Saints Row 4 for the PS3, and this is a game that Kevin was talking about on the Retro Fandango podcast. Is this a game that you would have some interest in playing? I know he brings it up all the time and says it's like a really fun game. I don't know anything about the series, but I thought I would pick it up for two bucks and give it a little run. Dude, as I said on on that show, Saints Row the Third and Saints Row Four are two of my favorite games of all time. They're so incredible and stupid and dumb and fun, and I would love to play them again. I think I played them it has to be more than six years ago, so it's not like one of these games that I would play and just be like, oh, I played it so recently, it's not worth putting an effort into. I would love to dive back into either one of those games. All right, man, mark it down. Let's do it. Cool. <laughs> All right, and then I picked up a few Game Boy games. I found a copy of Ninja Gaiden Shadow, so I went ahead and grabbed that for a decent price. And then I also picked up a copy of Ninja Spirit for the Game Boy. Now, this is a game that was not released in the U.S. It's a Chinese game, but of course, you know, Game Boy is not a region-locked device. However, what's very significant about this game and what makes it special and what I noticed was it had a label on it that was in English. And as I looked at it closer, I noticed that that label was a sticker. And so in places like Hong Kong, there's a lot of English-speaking people. So what they would do is they would send these games to places like Hong Kong and they would put the sticker over it in English to try to attract English buyers. So I actually have a special copy of this game and I've looked it up online and uh, there's not a whole lot about it but only you know a handful of people actually have this game so that was a pretty cool score for my collection and uh, I love Ninja Spirit on the Turbo Graphics and can't wait to check this copy out on the Game Boy and then the final thing that I picked up was a Super Famicom game I've been looking for this game at a good price for a long time it was one of the ones that was kind of going up in price, but now it's dwindled back down and I ended up snagging one fairly cheap, and that is Do Re Mi Fantasy. Are you familiar with this game, Sean? Oh, yeah. That's one of the ones I don't have because I never wanted to shell out what people were asking for it, so that's really cool. Yeah, well, the price has gone way down from what it used to be. I think it used to be around 150 to even close to 200 bucks. It's nice to see that, uh, you know, things are kind of leveling out again and people like us can grab copies of these games. That's it, man. Those were my pickups from January through February. Very good. All right. So I got so many What Are You Playing games. Oh, gosh. So many. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to go first then? Yours are probably a lot more exciting than mine. All right, yeah. If you want to knock yours out, I'll try to be brief. I'm not going to give you a full review of every game I'm playing, but I couldn't cut any of mine because they're all worth mentioning in some way, but I'll be as brief as I can. But yeah, you can go first. All right, I'll be brief too. I actually beat 16 games since the last oh, time we more talked. more than I did, actually. So. <laughs> well, but at the same time, a lot of these were short. Uh, as you know, we're doing that NES site challenge, so 15 of them were for the NES challenge, and the other one, of course, is Bayonetta, which we'll be talking about in a minute. During January, we were trying to reach that 
goal of beating 150 games, and we were really close, but I think in the last night we were about eight games off. So I just plugged away on the 31st of January and uh, beat several games. But since our last recording, the games that I have beaten, Hollywood Squares, Tecmo Bowl, MTV's Remote Control, Wild Gunman, Duck Hunt, Hogan's Alley, North vs. South, The Great Waldo Search, Pictionary, Win, Loser, Draw, Major League Baseball, Track and Field, Tecmo Super Bowl, Times of Lore, and Karnov. Nice. And I just want to talk about just a few of them for a minute. One of the games I had the most fun with was actually Track and Field. I remember playing it as a kid, but uh, that is a just super, super fun game where you actually have to learn all these individual events you know, it gets tough, especially when you're not playing with a uh, turbo controller. Very challenging game, a lot of fun, and uh, that's one I'm glad to mark off the list. Another game that I played was Times of Lore. This is the last game that I purchased for my NES as a kid and really didn't understand the game and how to play it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take this game and I'm going to beat it. Unfortunately... It's a game with a good idea, has a good story, but it's just a big fetch quest game. You go from place to place, there's not really any combat. You just go from one place to the next, find one thing, find the other, and then even the end of it, you just use like one item on the final boss and it's over with and you win the game. So a little disappointing that there's not any good combat in the game and it is fetch questy. So not one I would highly recommend if you're not trying to go for a full set. And then the final game I want to mention is Karnov. This is a game that I played a ton as a kid and uh, really, really enjoy it. My neighbor actually had the arcade cab for sale. Of course, the arcade cab is much, much more difficult than the NES game. The NES game is a fairly easy one to beat. But uh, I just love Karnov and uh, think it's just a great game on the NES. Is that one you've played before? I never have. I remember it from my childhood, uh, but you were saying it's pretty easy to beat. Maybe I should give it a try. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying that, but I think I know kind of all the nuances and everything and have played it so much, but I, I wouldn't put it in the upper tier of difficulty like many NES games are. So I had a lot of fun with it. I, I really love the different boards and how they vary if you kind of know how to play the game and know the patterns and know how to specifically beat the bosses, it's a very easy game. But uh, yeah, you should give it a shot, man. It's a fun game. Awesome. Before we move on to mine, what is the win conditions of Duck Hunt? I didn't realize that game had an ending or does it? Like, what did you have to do? Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. All of the light gun games, Wild Gunman, Duck Hunt, and Hogan's Alley, you know, it's hard because these games, like you said, they don't have an ending. They're just on a loop, right? Mm. So the way to beat these games is when you turn the game on, it gives you a high score. If you beat the high score, you basically beat the game. There's no other way to determine a win condition for these games. So it's very easy to beat the high score. It's very quick. And, you know, like I said, I was just trying to knock a ton of games off the list that night and that was just easy pickings, you know, for something to uh, get us to that 150 mark. So, good question. All right. 
Well, I guess I'll get into mine. I'll try to break it down by console. So I want to follow up on my playing of Near Replicant, which I talked about at length last episode. I got what's called the A ending and the B ending. And then there was a dialogue that popped up that said, to go for the next ending, you must collect every weapon in the game. And I looked in the menu and I only had 60% of the weapons. And I was like, damn, I don't feel like doing this exact thing right now and that really sucks because i wanted to play straight through every ending of this game but i'm not gonna i was not in the mood to continue playing the game for the purposes of reading a guide and finding every weapon in the game so despite my mission to play that game to absolute completion which i will do i decided at that point to take a break so that's where i'm at with near replicant I also played a game called Dogfight 1942, which is just a little PSN game on the PS3. And it's a shame that it's only on the PS3 because the graphics actually really look like a really good PSP game. And I think this game would be awesome on the PSP or Vita. It's a World War II flight arcade game where you fly around shooting and you, even though you have missiles, they're not locking missiles like Ace Combat, which is what I'm very used to. So they have this mechanic where you go into what's called dogfight mode, where it gives you a crosshair and your plane kind of rubber bands to the other plane, but you have to control the crosshair with your machine guns as you're shooting at the other plane. It's really cool. It's a really cool game. Uh, pretty short and the missions only take a couple minutes each another reason why it would have been great for a handheld that's dogfight 1942 on the playstation 3 from the psn highly recommend that game lastly on the ps3 i mentioned the atelier series earlier the first five games or something in the series never came out in the united states they were japan only And I think none of them have gotten fan translations until about a year ago. The first game in the series is called Atelier Marie. And there is a PlayStation 2 remaster of the first two games, which is Atelier Marie and Atelier Ellie. And somebody translated that version of those two games. So finally, after all these years of being an Atelier fan, I was able to go back and play the first game in the series, which is so awesome. It's an RPG, but the emphasis is way more on crafting than it is on dungeon exploring and fighting and combat. You still have that stuff, but whereas in a traditional RPG you have mostly dungeon crawling and combat and maybe a little bit of crafting on the side is completely reversed in the Atelier games. Making stuff is how you get most of your experience. You're taking orders from people in the town and you're making stuff for them. The stuff you make can be used to buff and debuff and permanently buff your characters. In Atelier Marie, you can hire mercenaries and they become like your party. So those are your like warriors and you can make strength pills for them. So you can load them up and permanently buff their (laughs) strength. And you can really, I don't want to say break the game, but by the end of the game, Marie in my party, I gave her, I think they're called smart pills and they make your magic attack go up. So I would just make like 30 of them. You know what I mean? And uh, she'd just go down, just mowing down every enemy. 
again, it, it didn't break the game because I couldn't beat some of the like special bosses, even with that kind of trick. But uh, as I posted on Twitter, I looked up the conditions to just not get a bad ending. And I ended up playing the game so vigorously that I ended up getting the best ending in the game, which is kind of <laughs> awesome. I wasn't even trying to do that theoretically, but it's a really cool series of games. And it's such an honor and privilege to be able to play finally the first game in the series. It was so cool. Sounds like you just play as a drug dealer. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> like People will come to the door of your shop and be like... <laughs> and actually one of the subplots is that like one of your friends is ill and you keep having to make her medicine and bring it to her house and uh you know one of the wing conditions in the game to get a good ending is to make sure she's uh well by the end of the game so (laughs) that's that's kind of neat but uh but yeah it's it's just just so good amazing music too just music you could like dance to it's so chipper and nice uh, so I think that's it for PlayStation 3. Let's move on to the VR games. So I played Eagle Flight for PlayStation VR, and I wrote an article about that. That was up on the site. That was a review I wrote. And I didn't hate it, but I found it frustrating. A lot of the missions revolve around combat. So this is a Ubisoft game where you actually fly around as an eagle. You've, you're flying around post-apocalyptic Paris, There are no humans, but the flora and fauna have kind of overtaken the world, and you get to just fly around it. Now, as a lot of the commenters on my article mentioned, and as I will agree with, it's very nice and relaxing to just float and fly and drift around Paris and try and fly under some of the buildings and into the windows and, you know, under the bridges and catch a fish and do all this nice relaxing stuff. But if you want to play the game and do all the missions, it can be very frustrating. Some of them are just racing and flying through rings. And the frustrating part of those is that some of them can be very long. And if you crash, you have to start from the beginning. And it's like, oh, man, I was so close to the end. (laughs) And then the other thing that's even more frustrating is the combat. So you have the screech attack where you just shoot out like this sound wave that's supposed to knock out like bats and vultures and other like quote unquote bad animals, (laughs) you know, enemies. (laughs) But I found that those missions to be really, really frustrating. So anyway, Eagle Flight for VR fans, buyer beware on that one, just because if you're kind of a go through the story and roll the credits person like I am, you might find some frustration. On the other hand, if you're just like, strap on the helmet and float around and relax, which I also do, then you're in for a treat with that one. I also played Farpoint in VR, which is the game that the gun, which is called the AIM, comes with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was pretty cool, but also had its frustrations because it's kind of like a sci-fi shooter. It's almost like a Halo game in VR, which is, oh, that sounds like a dream. And you actually have like a gun peripheral in your hand. But I can't really explain why. I just didn't really love the shooting. And I found myself running past a lot of the combat scenarios and just running past all the enemies and avoiding them to just trigger the next cutscene because I was enjoying the kind of walking and talking parts of the game and the cutscenes a lot more 
than actually shooting with the gun, which was a huge disappointment because there's only nine or ten games that use that gun right now, and that's one of them. And you said that gun is really hard to find, right? Uh, that's what I've been told. Like, Well, I don't know about super hard to find, but it's uncommon. My friend who worked at GameStop says he never sees them. That's what I was basing that on. Uh, okay. I mean, if you went on eBay, you would pay full price for it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess you wouldn't find a used one cheaply so easily. So there are more games for that gun that look appealing to me, and I'm, I'll probably end up grabbing them and trying them. But I did play Batman Arkham VR again <laughs> because <laughs> it's just freaking awesome man i know it's it's really short and if you know what to do you can beat it in like a half an hour but i just still think it's so cool like the graphics are amazing the level of detail i mean it is a rock steady game they made all those arkham games it's really cool you get to be like batman you get to be the detective you get to use a grappling hook, batarangs. You get to be in the bat cave, use a bat computer, all the stuff that you would want to do as Batman, except for drive the Batmobile. That's one thing they kind of left out. That would have been awesome. Now you played this, right? You played this at your friend's house? No, I did not. Oh. When I left, he said, Oh, I forgot I had the Batman game. You should have checked that out. So, uh, yeah, I just did like the deep dive and I did a game called Job Simulator, which was really wonky yeah but um no i I didn't play that game but i wish i would have that night i mean hopefully you'll get another chance and you'll be able to remind him you know yeah Uh, so that's my vr experience lately actually being on fandango made me realize uh, kevin's gonna want to talk about vr and i haven't played a vr game in a while it was like two weeks since i put the helmet on so that's when i ended up playing batman and then i dove right into Farpoint. So I'm glad I was able to kind of get back into it. And now I want to play more now. Uh, So let's move on to the 3DS. I played two games on that. Uh, I played Yoshi's Woolly World with Poochie, which is a port of, I think it was a Wii U game, Yoshi's Mm -hmm. Woolly World. And that's just a fun, nice, easy, pleasant you know, all the same words I keep using to describe the games that I like to play. Uh, it's just that. And we played Kirby's Epic Yarn way back when on the show. And it's kind of in the same vein. Everything is made of yarn and fabric and thread. And it just looks like an arts and crafts project. Now, I'm sure graphically it was better on the Wii U and everything else. But the 3DS version was just fine for me. It was a lot of fun. And it has even like an easy mode, which I didn't play the whole game on easy mode, but I actually found that it makes the game easier, yes, but it also adds different like gameplay dynamics. So it gives Yoshi wings. You could look at that as well, all right, so that just makes Yoshi fly. Doesn't make doesn't that make the platforming and jumping too easy or just like negate everything? But then you think, well, Kirby can jump and fly. Does that negate everything and make the game not worth playing or whatever? So I don't know. I kind of just toggled it on and off depending on what kind of mood I was in. So that was a really cool game. Game I finished yesterday was Lord Magna Made in Heaven. And now this is a great example of how a bad review of a game can let you know what you need to know about a game and why it might be right for you. 
So I got to shout out a YouTube guy named Tark's Gauntlet. He has a really good channel where he mostly reviews JRPGs. And I just discovered him a few weeks ago. And I like him a lot. Highly recommended. So he did a review of this game a couple years back. But I found it on his channel. And the way he was describing the game, I could understand his criticisms of it, but it made me think, wow, I really want to play this game, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) So for example, he was saying that, you know, the game's very linear, you don't, there's no exploration, you just go from point to point to do your battles. So in a way, it's a strategy RPG. And I was just like, okay, that doesn't bother me, that sounds good, like just throw me into the next battle, sounds great. And then he was saying, because you play as these girls who are like party, but then your main character is just kind of this support character. He doesn't have a lot of attack, but he runs support and he can do like healing spells and, you know, take away status effect kind of spells. And he said, the game is broken by this guy's healing spell because it's just overpowered. You can cast it for free every other turn and it gives everybody full health. And I thought, wow, that sounds really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So the game has a really unique battle system because it is a strategy RPG. But instead of a grid of squares, you have like a radius that you can freely run and position yourself in. And then you set up your shot, so to speak. And every character has her own like range of motion an area of effect that they hit. And when you hit the enemy characters, there's like a leader and minions. And when you hit the minions, they knock into each other. And if you hit 10 of them, you get another turn. And then if you don't kill the leader, he spawns more minions. But then you get money from the minions. And there's all these systems working together. Now, the battle system, as cool as it was, it did have some shortcomings. You can, and I did this a couple times, You can just kind of plant your girls strategically and then the enemy AI doesn't move around a lot. So if you can kind of face off against the enemies and not move, you could just wail away at them while your guy in the back is casting that healing spell I was talking about. And that's actually how I beat the final boss because the final boss was kind of a slog, had about a gazillion HP, took me about an hour to beat. But all I did was I got in a good groove of, again, having my girls just wail on them while I was just far enough away with my main guy to not get damaged and then just healing the girls as they're chipping away at the final boss. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. It's, It's one of those games that like I liked in spite of its shortcomings or maybe because of them. And I did quite enjoy it. And I'm really glad I played it. Does that sound like something that would interest you at all? Not as a playthrough, but just in general. Like, I'm just curious, like, if that piques your interest at all. It does, because it sounds like a tactical RPG, which I've really been into the last few years that you and I have been playing a lot of. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like something I would enjoy. And I find it funny, people use the word broken way too much, just as much as they use hidden gem (laughs) to describe games. Uh, One man's broken is another man's overpowered good time yeah (laughs) no that's exactly right and like i said 
when I hear that you can break a game, I kind of like that. Like I like to be able to do that. It's almost like a safety net. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when I go into something like that, I don't want to think that I could be completely screwed and have to quit the game. You know, I want to be able to kind of cheese it or break it or whatever, however you want to put it. So anyway, all right, let's move on. I got a handful of Vita games. I'm almost done here. So I played Hitman Go. Have you heard about this one? I have not. Okay, so I think you would really like this game, Rich. It's like a board game. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Piqued your interest there, right? Yeah. So you play as the Hitman character, Agent 47, I think is his name. And what you do is you move him around this board strategically, and then there's enemies that move around the board, and these enemy pieces have their own rule sets. So some of them you can't move into a spot that's facing them. Some of them turn around back and forth every turn. So you can only move in front of them when they're facing the other way kind of thing. Uh, There's pieces that move, pieces that don't move. And then on each board, there's challenges. Most of the time, it's get a briefcase. And there's a briefcase somewhere hidden in the board. But then there's other challenges like either... Don't kill anybody or kill everybody. When I say kill, it's not gory. It's just the pieces literally like knocking each other off the board like chess pieces. There's no gore whatsoever or violence. It's really cool because these little boards, they only take a couple minutes. And if you can't figure them out, there is like an assistance button that will kind of walk you through it. It gives you the first couple steps and then you can back out and try to figure out the rest yourself kind of thing. But what I didn't like about this game as much as I liked it, I didn't beat it because each level has a three star rating. You get one star if you finish the level. You get the other two stars for those conditions I was talking about. Get the briefcase or kill everybody or don't kill everybody or do it in a certain number of turns or whatever. And... As you unlock the boards, which contain like 20 levels a piece, you have to spend those stars that you earn. Well, I hit a wall where I couldn't open the next board because I didn't have enough stars. And I had no desire to go back and play what I had already played to get a better star rating. And this really kind of disturbed me because I think in a game like that, if you beat the level, you should just be able to proceed through the game. And I don't know if I'm really like off base with that. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like games like that, like if you can meet all of these requirements, that should just be an achievement that you can earn. But to keep you from progressing through the game by beating a level, but not doing all these little ticky tack kind of quests that the game's asking for, I think it's a little silly. Yeah. So that was a bummer that I couldn't finish that one, but I just stopped playing it. But I highly recommend it because it's just a really good game. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. There's other ones too. There's a Lara Croft one and a Deus Ex one that I also want to try. Um, Another game I played on the Vita is called Riddled Corpses EX. And this (laughs) is a... It's not what it it sounds like, actually. It's it's like a souped-up 16-bit, one of those like retro-looking pixel art games. It's a twin stick shooter where you're running around as an anime girl, basically. 
and you move with the left stick. Check that box yeah, for you. Exactly. Oh, you should see the title <laughs> screen of this thing. It's beautiful. It's really good. You should look it up. The pixel art is astonishing. It's beautiful. So you move with the left stick, shoot with the right stick. There's power-ups and everything. And then your currency and experience in this game is gold. So you're running around shooting zombies and you're trying to get the gold because that's how you buy items and that's how you level up. So you just run around, die, level up, run around, die, level up, and rinse and repeat. And this game is so hard that I've been playing it for three weeks now on and off, and I've only gotten to level two. And <laughs> well. it is it is the kind of game that you just want to just keep diving back into. It's that hard, but it's not frustrating at all, you know? And for me, when I start to feel frustrated, I just stop playing it, and then I'll just pick it up a couple of days later. Yeah, I have a few of those, like, twin-stick shooter games. They're kind of all the rage now, you know? They're a lot of fun, but man, a lot of them are very difficult, even from the onset. Yeah, well, I mean, I would recommend this one for you, too. Like, I think you would okay. enjoy it. What's that name again? Riddled Corpses EX. Okay. And I'll move on to another one on the Vita. Have you heard of the game called Stay? I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't played it. Okay, so this game is really unique. It's a text adventure where you are talking to a man who has been kidnapped and is imprisoned in a basement via this like computer chat room UI. It's like dialogue choices for that part of the game where he's just talking to you and you're choosing like multiple choice uh, response to him. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you're in a computer chat with this guy who's been kidnapped. That's how the game starts. And that's how I'm going to say 80% of the game plays. And you have to make the right choices to not get him killed and to maintain your relationship with him and improve your relationship with him and have him gain your trust. And it's really cool. But the other element of the game is these puzzles. And the puzzles are a huge pain in the ass. Some of them are <laughs> not too bad. Some of them are like cryptography or even there's a, like a sliding piece puzzle. But then there's this puzzle that's like, he opens an envelope and has to put a picture back together. And it's just like 50 pieces of a picture that you have to move around the screen. And it's like, this isn't a good puzzle. It's literally a puzzle, like pieces of a puzzle, you know, like a <laughs> jigsaw puzzle. And it's like, why are you making me do this? So those kind of parts of the game did frustrate me a little. And then some of the puzzles were like real brain teasers that I just gave up on. Some of them I did beat on my own and i was like oh man i'm a genius i can't believe i just did that <laughs> uh but this game it is super unique i've never played anything mm -hmm. like it so that again that game is called stay and i saw somewhere on twitter somebody posted that there is a physical version being made by one of those companies out there that makes physical versions of vita games so yeah i feel like i've seen that and that's the reason yeah so Okay. Pretty cool game. Very unique. Good to know. It sounds a bit like the Professor Layton games. I like those okay. They have some puzzles that are solvable, that, but then there's other parts of the game that are just ridiculous and, you know, I just get really annoyed with. Yeah. Well, I got 
two more games, one more Vita game, and it's one that you recommended to me. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> it's one that you played a few months ago. I think you were on vacation, and you played Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc, right? Oh, I cannot wait to hear what you thought about this game. <laughs> yeah, so it's a crazy game that's really hard to describe. At its core, mm-hmm. it's a visual novel, and yeah. there's uh, a story going on where you're in this kind of battle royale, Hunger Games kind of situation where you're in the school and you're being forced to kill each other. And then part of the game is like this trial where you have to show evidence as people are testifying. And it's really weird and crazy. And I don't want to mm-hmm. make, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. So, Rich, I actually loved the game for the story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. I thought the story, uh, the voice acting was even good, you know, the English. The only thing is, the game to me felt, so long and that's the nature of a visual novel in a certain sense but i found i mean i hate to say this rich but about halfway through the game i started using a walkthrough and i was enjoying it a lot more because then i could just enjoy the story because what i was finding was each chapter uh you go to a new floor in the school and you get a new murder case right but then it's kind of like you just have to talk to the right people in the right order and you're kind of just doing this checklist thing where mm-hmm. there were some points where it's like, all right, I don't know what to do next. What am I, who am I supposed to talk to now? You know what I mean? So yeah. I just went and started using a walkthrough and it made that part of the game go that much faster. And then it's the whole story started to really pick up and I really liked it. I thought that ending got a little crazy, but it had the kind of ending that I like. Yep. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll just use the word ambiguous and nothing was set in stone and I liked it. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing the sequels and there, I actually saw they're going to release a trilogy of the first three games for the PS4 soon. So that's up for pre-order if you're interested. Oh man, awesome. Well, I have them all on my Vita already. Nice. So uh, yeah, man, I would definitely be interested in playing the next game in the series, which I understand takes place on an island. So, uh, yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. Like you, I love the story. It was so great. I, I was a little annoyed with the uh, the trial scenes, and I actually used a walkthrough for a lot of that later in the game just because, you know, I wanted to pass. Yes. You know, I just didn't want to spend any more time with it. But for me, the length was really nice. I liked it being a little bit longer and actually enjoyed it so much that I always wanted to keep playing it and come back to it. You know, I do stuff with my kids. I'm like, oh, man, I want to go play that because I played it at the beach. You know, so I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll take the kid up for a nap. So I'd take my kid up for a nap, put him to bed and then start playing it. And the rest of my family was out on the beach and then I would play it again at night. It's one that I really like, but I do agree with you that it gets a little kind of fetch questy where you just got to go talk to certain people and, you know, run all over the place to find them. And, uh, yeah, it can be a little annoying, but uh, I think overall it's definitely a game that everyone should play. It's just so quirky and cool and just weird, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I think we really need to throw uh, Monokuma's theme song into this episode. 
because it's so goofy and off the wall that I had to play it at work for my coworkers. I was like, you got to hear this homicidal teddy bears theme song. It's crazy. <laughs> so I'm almost done. I actually started a new game today. And as you know, I made this list of like a backlog that I talked about mm-hmm. last month with New Year's uh, resolutions. And I think it's kind of keeping me on track here because I did have to play a Vita game. I didn't know at the time I was going to get all these hacked Vitas and just have access to all these games and play a ton of them. So I crossed that off my list with Danganronpa. I had any Atelier game, which I crossed off my list with Atelier Marie. And I mentioned that one of my things was to play a Final Fantasy game because I've only ever played the first game. So this morning, I started the PSP version of Final Fantasy IV, and I'm playing it on one of my new Vitas. Now, as you know, you can play PSP games on a Vita, but the way they do it on the custom firmware Vitas is there's this app called Adrenaline, which is actually a PSP operating system that runs on the Vita. And it looks great, and it plays great, and uh, I'm glad to be playing Final Fantasy IV again. This time, I hope I finish it, and uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I'm only like three hours into it, but uh, it's already, you know, it's funny. After playing so much Dragon Warrior, I'm calibrated to this level of insane grinding that I was. <laughs> I'm playing Final Fantasy IV, where the grinding is actually not that advantageous because all the party is always story driven. You can't choose, as far as I know, like people just come into and out of your party and it's out of your hands. So it's like grinding, it's not as wise as you would think it would be in certain parts of the game at least. But it's funny, I'm just running around thinking, okay, I got to grind for the next three hours. And I'm like leveling up every two minutes and getting all these spells. And when I got to the first boss, I just whooped them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. So that's what I'll be playing for a little while now. Have you ever played Final Fantasy IV or any of the older ones? I don't think we've ever even talked about them. You know, I've played through Final Fantasy VII. I started Final Fantasy VIII, which I didn't really care for. And then I played Final Fantasy IX, which I really liked a lot. Just the PS1 ones. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. I started a game on the original one on the Nintendo and got a decent ways into it and just lost interest and put it down several years ago. Fair enough. So, yeah, that's it. Besides Dragon Warrior, which, like I said, I finished last week and (laughs) we will talk about next month. That is all the stuff. I mean, and you got to remember, we're recording kind of late here. It just so happens I played tons of games in February. I'm really happy with everything I was able to plow through. I, I really enjoyed most of what I played. There's really no duds in there. Like I said, all the stuff I just talked about, I didn't want to cut anything from the show, so... Hope, I hope that yeah. was worthwhile for everybody. Especially that Danganronpa bomb you pulled yeah, on me. I, I think you didn't even mention it on that. Twitter. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome.
All right, man, it's time to talk about some Bayonetta. But before we do, let's get into our question of the month. Now, I sent this question to you through a text, and you were like, of course I like that question, right? Yeah, man, this is like right in my wheelhouse. Even more than last month's question. We're just knocking it out of the park with questions tailor-made for me. So, (laughs) yeah. So, the question this month is, what is your favorite game or series with a lead female character? We've got some responses to that, and I'll go ahead and read them first before we get into our top five list. Our buddy Disposed Hero says, Fairly obvious choice, but I'm going to say the Metroid series. Super Metroid is one of my favorite games, and I've enjoyed the other titles that I've played. Also want to give a shout out to the Trails in the Sky series. I love the games, and Estelle Bright is an awesome character. We had another one from a loyal follower, The Deviant, and he says, Guiana Sisters. Over the years, the games have transitioned from an excellent Mario-like into its own brilliant thing, combining pixel-perfect jumping with new mechanics and a shifting world theme. Guiana and Maria also have deeper, relatable personalities. Our buddy Travis, Zofar53, says, Portal. Excellent gameplay, puzzles, humor, and perfectly paced with no filler. And not one, but two female lead characters. If you count GLaDOS, she's an AI, but she's endearing enough that she definitely counts, in my opinion. And then our buddy Kevin, Buried on Mars, says, I have to go with any non-other M Samus. (laughs) Fair enough. People hate that game, I guess. And another guest from our show, Josh, the Game Boy Guru, says, Without punking out and saying Bayonetta, despite that being a favorite, I would also say Parasite Eve. Aya Bray is a great layered character, and the original game was a compelling piece of storytelling and gameplay. Too bad the sequels didn't prove to be as good. And then finally, our friend Musty Hobbit states, For the sake of giving you some variety, yes, I know Samus is probably going to be the most popular answer, I'm going to say Lightning from Final Fantasy Thirteen. Wow, those are some great answers, and games that I haven't played before many that i have but all very compelling answers i just gotta thank everybody for participating in this one again a question that's near and dear to my heart so awesome awesome participation from everybody there all right well since it's so near and dear to your heart how about i let you go first in telling us what one of your favorite female characters is Well, I actually have one more answer from the community if we can count my wife as part of the community. because Absolutely. Yeah, I posed this question to her, and she mentioned a game called Bullet Witch, which is a game that is not actually very well loved by anybody except for my wife. (laughs) (laughs) This game is actually a a 360 game that was recently re-released for PC, and everybody was just like... Why did they port this game to the PC? It's a terrible game. Now, I haven't played it, but my wife loves it. So her answer was the main character of Bullet Witch, which is a woman named Alicia Kloss. So (laughs) that's her answer. And she told me today that I should really play that game because I sometimes have a thing for bad games. And she said, it can't be as bad as everybody says it is. (laughs) (laughs) I I might check that out. Yeah, I look forward to your review. Nice. Uh, So I have one honorable mention. You want to go with that first? 
Uh, let's throw our honorable mentions in last. Okay, that's fine. And I didn't really rank these. It's not really a top five list, except for my number one is pretty solid. Yeah, mine too. I'm going with Zoe Castillo from the Dreamfall series. Okay. Now, I haven't played the first Dreamfall game. It's a point-and-click PC adventure, so there's really no like likelihood of me playing it. But I've watched a lot of YouTube videos that you know encapsulate the story, so I know what went on in that game. But Zoe is the main character of the second game, which is Dreamfall The Longest Journey. It was on PC and the Xbox, and I really love that game. The character of Zoe is just a really well-written, like, realistic woman, and she's strong but not bitchy. She's not standoffish, but she's not a wet noodle either. She's just really realistic and likable, and I think she's a great character, and I have Dreamfall chapters, but I haven't played it yet, and I believe she's the main character in that too. So uh, that's my number five pick. Awesome, man. That's a great pick, uh, from what I understand. You've mentioned this game before, and I actually picked it up on Xbox just based on your recommendation. I'd like to play it sometime. Yeah, it could be a good playthrough game. Yeah, maybe we can do that. Nice. All right, for number five, I actually picked Shantae. I really like the Shantae series. I think it's a great platformer. It's fun, it's cute, and the games are really, really well designed. Yeah, that's it, Shantae. Nice and easy. Okay, next one for me is the entire female cast of Valkyria Chronicles. So this game, as we know, is a it's a strategy game with like a fictionalized version of World War II where it's just full of anime waifus. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, the main character, Alicia, is kind of like this girl next door. She's just adorable and endearing. But I really want to point out one of my favorite characters. Probably my favorite character in the game is a soldier named Wendy Cheslock. And she's voiced by Laura Bailey, who we know as voicing Catwoman in those Telltale Batman games that we oh, played. Okay. And she just has this sultry, like she's a demolitions expert and she's in the army because she just can't stop making explosives and she was like dangerous <laughs> to the people around her. <laughs> but she's just this badass, sexy, like, I'm going to take care of it, you know, like get out of my way. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I was in love with her when I played that game. That's my number four. Awesome. Well, my number four is from a game that we've played during the playthrough, and I think a lot of my experiences playing games with females in them have come from the playthrough, and that is Aurora from uh, Child of Light. I really, really enjoyed that game, loved the story, loved the artwork, and uh, just thought her character was very childlike. But also, I felt like she was this very coming-of-age character, going from childhood to sort of adulthood. One of my favorite books is Catcher in the Rye, and that's sort of what that story is and what it outlines. And so, for me, I have a great familiarity with that and uh, really love that game. Very cool choice. All right, so my number three is... The one and only Joan of Arc in the game Jean d'Arc. <laughs> I knew that was going to make your list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you do any better than one of the greatest heroes of history? 
being in an anime strategy JRPG, like it doesn't get any better than that. It's freaking Joan of Arc in a video game, and it's a good ass video game. So I needn't say more. So what what's your next pick? All right. My number three pick is straight from the peanut gallery. Samus Aaron is uh, one of my favorite of all time. Of course, you remember me saying that my first ever Nintendo game was Metroid because my console came with that official strategy guide. It did not come with a game, so my mom had to take me to the store, and I picked Metroid. I think that revelation of finding out after you beat the game that it's actually a girl you've been playing the whole time, at that point in history in the 80s, it was just really shocking to have such a strong female character. And even now I'm sitting here looking at this piece of artwork I have on my wall that I picked up at Retro World Expo of Samus. And that character has just always stayed with me since I was a kid and uh, still love the Metroid games to this day. That's awesome. One of these days I'll play one. It's just not at the top of my list. I get it. Yeah. I kind of wish I'd have done Super Metroid when you guys did it back for the show, but I don't know. Someday I will. If you do it, make sure you use a walkthrough, man. I mean, don't get frustrated with it. They're kind of tough games if you don't. So. Okay. Noted. All right. So my number two pick, this is the one that I think we might have both picked, but I guess uh, we'll see. Uh, It's Blaze Fielding from the Streets of Rage series, Uh, most notably Streets of Rage 2, which is the best game in the series. I mean, she's just a kick-ass. No, yeah, Streets of Rage 2 is the best Streets of Rage. It's not up for discussion. I just love her character. I was doing a little research. All these Streets of Rage characters have backstories and everything. It's pretty interesting. You know, it is a beat-em-up game, but they all have... Uh, lore to them but i actually just really love her sprite she has these long legs she's wearing uh, a mini skirt and a halter top but she has this like kind of wide open stance where you know she has her arms up and she just looks really good and her idle animation is just like flicking her hair and she's an example like bayonetta as we'll get into of that like power and with sexiness and i really like her so That's my number two. Yeah, she's definitely my favorite to use in the game just because, you know, you've got the most powerful person, but they're slow. And then she falls into that category of being the weakest as far as damage, but she's the quickest. And I I feel like it's easier to defeat enemies with her because you can move from one to the next a lot quicker. Yep. Definitely like using her. All right, my number two pick is actually the game Fantasy Star. I like the character Alice in that game. I think it's incredible for such an early RPG to put a female character in the front. And uh, I just enjoyed my time so much with Fantasy Star when we played that as a playthrough. And uh, just a fantastic game on the Sega Master System. Very good. Well, without further ado, my number one choice is... Female Commander Shepard from the Mass Effect series, voiced by the incredible, legendary Jennifer Hale. I love the Mass Effect games. I played Mass Effect 1 three times, (laughs) and I can't get enough of Fem Shep, and I made my Fem Shep look like my wife, and I love the work I did in the custom character creator and with Jennifer Hale's amazing voice work added to her. 
My FemShep experience was really top-notch, and I will never forget it. Yeah, that's my number one choice. Very cool, man. Well, my number one choice, and if you listen to this podcast, you may know what it is. It's in my top five games of all time. We actually played it during a playthrough. It's one of the first podcasts that we did, and that is Parasite Eve. I love the character Ayabray. I know Metal Fro mentioned this as being his favorite in his Twitter response. Yeah, I just love the game Parasite Eve, and I just think Ayabray is such a strong and fascinating character. And yeah, that's my number one pick. Very cool. Uh, We mentioned honorable mentions. Did you have any? Yeah, I've got a few honorable mentions. One that might have made your list is Max and Chloe from Life is Strange. Cool. Another that I picked was a Genesis game, El Viento. It's made by Renovation. The character is Annette Meyer. Yeah, that's a pretty cool action game. And then the final one I picked is Jennifer from Clock Tower series. You play as this heroine that's running away from this murderer. And what's really cool about it is these games were based on Dario Argento films, which I'm a big fan of uh, Italian horror and especially of Dario. And the character Jennifer is actually a reference to Jennifer Connelly, who is in one of his films, Phenomena. I just think that that's really cool. The character doesn't speak so much in the game, so it's probably why I didn't pick her for my top five, but still wanted to give her a mention. That's cool. And she does look like her, even in the Super Famicom (laughs) version. So that's pretty cool. So I just had one honorable mention that I wanted to talk about, and that's Quiet from Metal Gear Solid 5. I think she's really noteworthy because there was controversy at the time that that game came out that was like, oh, this is really misogynist. You got a woman running around in her underwear and she can't speak and her freaking name is Quiet. Like, really, Kojima? You know what I mean? Like... And it's like, wow, on the face of it, yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, little... Yeah, it sounds pretty bad. It's a little out there. But having played the game, obviously, I know the story of the game. And I also know that her outfits are customizable, like, pretty much right off the bat. So I think it's all in the user experience. The lore of the game is that there's a reason she can't wear clothes, you know, which is very almost japanese kind of thing. Uh, And it is stupid, but when you're actually playing the game, they throw that out the window and you could put different clothes on her. So I had like a full tactical gear on her, but I love the character as well and her arc and everything. So I thought she would be noteworthy to talk about. She's not the protagonist of the game. She's not the star of the game or the series or anything, but uh, just noteworthy for those reasons. And I'm a big fan. Very cool, man. Well... I just wanted to mention something that I noticed when I was compiling this list. Now, it wasn't hard for me to pick my top five or to throw in a few honorable mentions, but what I basically did was I went on RF Generation and I pulled up my collections and I just skimmed through them to find female characters that were leads in games. And of course, like with some games like fighting games and stuff like that, there are female characters, but I was thinking like for myself and for my list personally, that, you know, I was going to pick games that were solely female characters. You know, I have a rather large collection of games, and I was a little disappointed to find out that a lot of the games that I own 
don't have female leads in them. And a lot of the games that I collect, you know, some of them are full collections and then others are what I consider good games on a system. And I was just kind of taken aback by there weren't a lot of games that feature women. Yeah, it's just something that, that I noticed as I was answering this question of the month. I don't know. Did you have a similar experience or note that in any way? Not really, but I wonder if it's because I'm so used to this as my like gaming lifestyle. Right. You kind of seek those types of games out. Exactly. Like I feel like if I look through my collection because I'm so conscious of it, and I don't mean conscious, again, I've said this before, not politically conscious, but just because that's my preference is to play as a female character, that those are the kind of games I go for naturally. As I was looking around my collection, just kind of, oh, I could do this one or that one. There was a lot of things that I didn't use, but I find that it's almost rare or noteworthy for me if I'm playing a game where I have to play as a male character, you know, Mm -hmm. like near replicant you have to play as a male character that's kind of a rare game for me to be in that situation you know what i mean or danganronpa yeah. you play as a male character you can't choose but then the later games you play as the female characters so oh, okay it's all relative i guess but again like every atelier game there's like 20 of them and they're all of them are all female leads except for one that has a male and a female so you're covered there, you know, and I love those games. So it's like things like that. I never find myself wanting for it. And most games now, thank goodness, if it's not a story character, you can just pick male or female, which is great. That's becoming more and more prevalent, which is just a beautiful thing. So, hmm. Okay. How did Rhapsody not make your list? So I tried to stay away from like licensed property because I could have said, oh, Attack on Titan because it has Mikasa in it. You know, yeah, I, mean? yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I tried to stay away from that because that's not like unique to a video game. And then I thought I don't want to go super heavy on games that we've talked to death already. But, you know, like Rhapsody would be in there. I was also thinking Alex from Oxenfree. But then I thought uh, yeah. I thought I could give dreamfall a little bit more time in the limelight rather than talking more about oxen free which we did a whole show on i would have lost my life savings on that rhapsody pick (laughs) (laughs) all right man good stuff i'm too sexy for my love too sexy for my love love's going to leave
get into our game like we mentioned before we played the original bayonetta last month just a little bit about it it is an action adventure game hack and slash developed by platinum games and the project was led by hideki kamiya it was published by sega released in japan on the 360 and the PS3 in October of 2009. It was released in North America a few months later in January of 2010. It was released on the Wii U in September in Japan and October in North America in 2014. Released in Windows April 2017 and on Switch February 2018. It has a sequel, Bayonetta 2, which was released on Wii U. And there's a third game that's currently in the works for the Switch. I do want to mention real quick our participants for the month. Of course, Sean and I participated. Dougley007, as always. Crabmaster2000 joined us again, which I was really happy to see. He's been playing all of our games so far this year. Uh, Our buddy Disposed Hero joined us. And our friend Corey, who was on our last podcast, Turn Around and Run, joined us. So I have to say, this was an interesting month for me, Sean, because... I wanted to jump into Bayonetta, but it took me several weeks to do that. And with the forums, I felt like I was behind. It was my month to host. And I just really felt terrible that I couldn't keep up. And the reason for that, as I mentioned to you, is that Super Bowl Sunday this year, my son's been playing Fortnite on the TV for most of the day. Flip it over from Fortnite, put it on the game, and about a third of my screen is all black on my TV. Oh, so God. my TV died Super Bowl Sunday. Thankfully, my neighbor next door was just having like a get-together. It was just his family, and he invited me and my family over. So my daughter and I went over there and watched about half of the game. wasn't much of a Super Bowl anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. But uh, yeah... I had to get a new TV, and it took us a few weeks to do a little bit of research and find out where we could get the best deal and and get the TV we wanted. So the good thing is that I got to play this game on a 65-inch TV, (laughs) which is now in our living room, which I am loving playing my PS3 and my PS4 on. But uh, I do want to apologize for the people that joined us this month and tell them sorry that I couldn't weigh in until a latter part of the month. Yeah, no, that's fine. It was a weird month for me, too, because I think I played the game over like a weekend. I just blasted through it real quick. So I had like four oddly timed forum posts for this whole playthrough, and that was it. But I will say... 
I think Crabmaster kind of saved our bacon because, as usual, he's writing these erudite, like, long of great Canadian novels in the forum. <laughs> so, uh, and as a matter of fact, I will just say, like, for better or for worse, when you and I get into the gameplay, we're not going to be as technical as this game maybe deserves. But if you want yeah. that kind of stuff, just go read Crabby's comments because, you know, we played it on a lower difficulty, but he went for the super challenge and the ultimate climax mode or whatever it's called like platinum yeah yeah. so for our listeners you're not going to get that end of it from us but go check out the forums and look at what Krabby wrote yeah it's really awesome and i know we give him a lot of for his long posts but i just want to say i know he listens to the show as well i love those posts i think they're great yeah me too no they make the playthrough most of the time you know yeah yeah he's participating it's a real treat because he puts so much time and thought into analyzing the games and that's what we're here for absolutely so let's go ahead and get into the story of bayonetta it starts out with the witch bayonetta who you find out has awakened following a 500 year slumber at the bottom of a lake She suffers from a bit of amnesia, and we get short glimpses into her past via flashbacks. Bayonetta holds a jewel, known as the left eye. It's one of the two eyes of the world that are known to exist. One was once protected by the Umber Witches, the Worshippers of Darkness, and that's the one Bayonetta has, and that's the left eye. And then the right eye was protected by the Followers of the Light, the Lumen Sages. These factions once ruled the Earth and kept the balance of peace until the destruction of both sides via a war and the witch trials. We later learn that Bayonetta is the cause of this rift, as she is the child of two star-crossed lovers, an Umbran witch and a Lumen sage. Upon learning that the Second Eye exists in the remote town of Vigrid, Italy, Bayonetta sits off to retrieve it. So that's just sort of a short description of what's going on in this game and so sean i want to hear from you what you thought about the story in this game oh man um well (laughs) i didn't care about it i didn't care for Mm -hmm. it even hideki kamiya said the story takes a far second to the gameplay you know it's just a vehicle to get you to the next fighting scene and i felt actually and i posted this on the forum that the cutscenes started to get on my nerves because yeah. I didn't like the one guy that she calls Cheshire. I forget his name. Yeah, he's annoying. Yeah, he's just Luca. Like, Luca, right? Like he's just a block of wood, you know. Where you got this colorful character like Bayonetta, she's saucy and just sassy and amazing, and then you got this dope like walking around. <laughs> he's not even a good foil for her. You know what I mean? He's way below her league. So he's definitely out kicking in his coverage if she's interested in him exactly yeah the story i mean there were parts of it that were a little bit engaging but for the most part Mm -hmm. i thought there was way too much of it and uh, i just wanted to keep going into the action scenes yeah to me it seems like there's a decent amount of exposition at the front that makes you want to know more about the story and about the game and then it kind of drags toward the middle and then, oddly, like, a young girl gets involved, right. <laughs> Cereza. I don't know. I really didn't like that portion of the game. And I understood it once I got to the end because, my God, at the end, 
Father Balder does this whole James Bond villain spiel for like 15 minutes. And that was so annoying. But that's where you put the story together at the end of the game. So I would say the the beginning and the end were meaty, but the middle just kind of drugged. I think I'm kind of with you in this, is that the story is just sort of a means to an end. The action and everything that's going on in the game is what the focus is. And like you said, I mean, that's what one of the developers said anyway. So it makes sense. But I would say that the story is probably the weakest part of the game, in my opinion. No, I agree with that. One thing I did want to talk about in terms of the story was this idea of what's good and what's evil. And... This is something that I really, really liked in the game. You know, when we typically think of witches and things like that, we automatically like put them in a category of evil. The dark arts or anything like that, you know, we just sort of categorize it in that way. What I thought was very interesting about this game is the way that the light and the dark were what balanced the world out, right? This sort of yin and yang And I thought that was a cool perspective. So you're playing as a witch, which normally you would think is maybe an evil character, but she's not. She's a child of both. And so even though she is more with the faction of the Umbra witches, I feel like she's an incredibly likable character. And at no time that you're playing this, do you feel like you're playing someone that's evil? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, she's totally fun. She's the hero of the story, and she doesn't seem evil at all. So the whole light and dark thing, the whole good and evil, you know, I didn't apply any of my knowledge of like real world mythology to this game because I think it's almost like a fan fiction of Christianity versus uh, dark arts or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it, mm-hmm. I didn't get the impression that that's what they were going for. They just kind of used this symbology. So mm-hmm. I wasn't viewing it through that lens. And so it was kind of like anything goes from that perspective. So I, I agree with what you're saying as far as it's not like there's a good and a bad, a light and a dark. It's just one side versus another kind of thing. And like you said, yeah. they're both fighting over this thing. They've been in, eternally at war kind of thing. Uh, they just use archetypal symbology. Yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, let's be honest. I mean, you're fighting angels. Right. You're fighting the cardinal virtues. And these things, although very virtuous and something that we would think of as goodness, they have a bit of a nasty look to them. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, they look almost evil in a way. They're very violent and some even very grotesque. And I just thought that was a interesting way to portray them in a video game. No, that's a good point. Yeah, actually, some of them that have like the inverted cherub faces had this like disturbing, not uncanny valley, but just like this, that's just out of place. Like it's something that should look pleasant, but the way they designed it, it is grotesque. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's grotesque, but it's really cool, you know. Oh, for sure. I feel like they just kind of flip it on its head, you know, which I really, really appreciate and I think is just super neat. And I like the portrayal of both sides and how they once, you know, lived in harmony. But, of course, now something dire is going on and it has to be reined in and put back under control. Anyway, well, let's move on from the story and get into the gameplay. This game is neat in that 
it is a hack and slash, so there's a lot of melee combat, but then also there's a lot of gunplay as well, which is neat. And I really, really like the combination of this. And we have to mention that Bayonetta not only has guns in her hands, but also has them as the heels to her shoes, which makes the game a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really cool. And this is something that Kamiya and team did do in Devil May Cry, and they just kind of incremented on it with this game uh, as mm-hmm. far as the gunplay by adding more guns. <laughs> <And> <laughs> who doesn't love more guns? But yeah, it's cool when you're pulling combos and you know you can use ranged attacks as well as your melee combos. So yeah, I love the gunplay. Yeah, and I think on a lot of the bosses you have to. Some of them are far off in the distance, so you actually have to use the gunplay to actually damage them. So to me, it's just very unique, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So one of the other neat aspects of the gameplay is this idea of witch time. Now, Sean, you and I have seen this before in one of the other games that we've played during our playthroughs, right? That's right. The Transformers game by Platinum, they kind of ripped themselves off by (laughs) having witch time in that game. Uh, They called it something different, whatever it was called in that game. But yeah, this is when you dodge at just the right moment and the game slows down for a few seconds. So you can really wreak havoc while your enemies are just kind of sitting there in slow motion. And it's a really cool feature. In this I love it, man. It's a lot yeah. of fun. I think it's really well done. And, you know, it makes you learn the enemy attacks and know the correct time to dodge. And uh, also makes the boss fights a lot of fun, too, you know? Yeah, definitely. So with which time, I feel like we need to talk about the QTEs as well, or what's known as the torture attacks on this game. And those are a lot of fun. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) you'll be in the middle of combat, and all of a sudden a button sequence will pop up on your screen, and you're able to do a special attack. And, uh, you know, they vary per enemy, Like the angels, I know the quick time event is you press two buttons and you kick them into an Iron Maiden and then you kick the door shut and that usually destroys them each time. There's other ones where you'll put some of the enemies into vices and turn the wheel until you completely crush them. Uh, It's just a really, really neat concept. I don't know. What did you think about these quick time events? I like them in that they are cartoony and over the top. Mm -hmm. But then after a while, because there's only like four different ones. Yeah. And then I tend to really not like things where you have to just mash the button repeatedly. Uh, I think I've mentioned that before. (laughs) Or spin the thumbstick. Yeah. 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 So that is kind of one of my pet peeves. But I did feel that I tolerated it more in this game because I'm going to admit I do this thing where I kind (laughs) of, I do it in a weird way where I hold the controller like kind of flat on my left palm and then I mash with my thumb on my right hand to go faster. Okay. And uh, I did get into that stance every once in a while to like, oh, I'm going to really, really get this guy. I'm going to (laughs) get max gigatons or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should Uh, mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a meter that you fill up as you do it and you get a bonus if you fill up the meter all the way or whatever. So um, I did go for it quite a few times before it started to wear me out. I will admit that. Yeah. One thing that um, 
we should mention with the game as far as QTEs go is there's this thing called the hair attack. And we need to mention that Bayonetta, she has this long black flowing hair and her entire outfit is actually made up of her hair. So when she does these hair attacks, the suit basically comes off, but it covers up her areas so that that it keeps the game at a PG-13 level. And uh, the hair actually attacks the enemies, and sometimes it forms into like a foot that stomps on the enemies. And then you have these like grandiose attacks when you're fighting these bosses that are really, really elaborate and cool. And, uh, I don't know about you, but I was a huge fan of this. I thought it was so neat and cool looking. And because you basically use these attacks on bosses, there was usually one for each boss. I think one or two might have been repeated, but uh, I thought they did a good job with those. Yeah, totally agree. I thought they were way over the top, great animations, and they were very satisfying to do and you're just smashing the hell out of these bosses with these huge (laughs) boots and you know fists made out of hair and it's very bombastic and just awesome like most of the things in this game yeah i mean it's nothing i've ever seen in the game before so yeah i thought it was very original and just a really cool thing to uh to add to the game Also, as a witch, you can change into different animal forms. One of the forms that you can turn into is like, I think it's like a panther or, you know, some sort of wild cat. And, uh, you know, that's important for most of the game. There's a few puzzles that you have to figure out with that. But then you can also go into the shop and buy a few different forms. I think there's like a bat form and there's an eagle form, right? Oh, that's really cool. I don't think I ended up purchasing any of those. The only thing in the game that I purchased was different kinds of guns, actually. Okay. Did you do any of the like special moves or anything like that? I might have, actually. Now that you mentioned it, I think I bought a couple combos, too. But uh, I don't know why. I didn't get any of the further animal abilities. I just had the panther that they give you. Yeah, and we should mention that we're talking about things that you can purchase. There's these little portals that you can go into throughout the game at certain spots. You have a friend who's helping you out. His name's Rodin, and basically he goes to hell and brings back these special weapons. If you bring him, it's like a vinyl LP. Some of them are whole, and then some of them you have to find all the pieces of. And he will go down to hell and bring you special weapons, which you then have to purchase. But then he also sells special items. He sells different types of moves and things like that. And then he also sells bracelets and special items. So, yeah, it's a really cool system. They basically use halos as currency, which, again, is kind of neat, you know, and kind of goes with that theme that we were talking about in the beginning. I did buy several different things from the shop, did buy a few weapons. There was one weapon that I did not find in the game because I didn't find all the pieces of one of the records. But I did buy a few moves, and one of my favorites is that breakdancing windmill where you fire bullets out of the heels of your shoes. I thought that was really awesome and one of my favorites to use. Cool. We should also mention there's a mini game after each level called Angel Attack. which Yes. I actually really love the announcer on that game because he goes, it's time for Angel Attack. And it's like really, it's way better than I just did it. You got to hear it for yourself. 
it's a really dumb arcadey first person shooting thing that you only you do for like five seconds and then you run out of bullets but that's another way to get the currency that you can use to buy items and there are your normal stock like healing items and that kind of stuff too but we should mention that Using those kind of items will lower your score or your ranking if you're going for that kind of thing. So Yes. Um, that's part of getting those platinums for every verse. Every chapter is broken down into these verses, and they can last five seconds. You know, they could have two enemies in them, and you get a ranking for that. So you always got to be on guard and use your items carefully and, you know, be ready for your ranking because if it's not a plat, you might want to quit and go back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because those are sort of like save points as well yeah um so that's that's how the game works like that i thought the save points in this game were very good like you said you can just work your way through those some of them are just a few seconds long some of them are several minutes so if you have to backtrack it's not all that bad and then the items you mentioned just a minute ago you know, we're talking about this other thing in the game called alchemy, which you collect different ingredients and stuff throughout the game. Did you use any alchemy in this game? I did not. I didn't either. I thought it was a bit tacked on. Now, I will say this. Our difficulty setting was very low. Right. And so I feel like this is something that would be more advantageous to people that play it on a higher difficulty setting. And they would probably use these things more. So, you know, kind of take it with a grain of salt that we didn't use it. But it doesn't mean that if you're playing this game, you wouldn't use it. We mentioned the cutscenes before, but I just wanted to kind of talk about those in reference to how they fit into the gameplay. From my perspective, I just felt like they were so long in a lot of spots. I don't know. I don't feel like they were used to cover up lack of a game, but there are a lot of times where I was saying, I'd rather be fighting right now than watching all of these cutscenes. I don't know. What were your thoughts on those? Yeah, no, that's what I was alluding to before when we were talking about the story. I wanted to skip them, and I don't know if you can, but I felt like I shouldn't for the purposes of this podcast. Sure. I said I I should experience these, but man, I wish I could just skip through them and get to the good stuff, you know? Yeah. The cutscenes are weird. I think i've heard that there's reasons for this that sometimes are like full cinematics sometimes there are these weird slideshow things sometimes there are these like film mm-hmm. reel things like even like a single cutscene can be presented in three different ways you know what i mean yeah and it really feels like they had varying levels of funding through <laughs> throughout <laughs> when they were developing these cutscenes. you know what i mean yeah I mean, overall, I think they're really well done and cool, though. And, uh, you know, the animation is really, really awesome. But uh, I just think they linger a lot longer than they should in the game. No, I agree completely. And I think a bunch of people on the forum shared that sentiment. It almost felt like it's not as bad as a Metal Gear game, but like... The gameplay to cutscene ratio is way too low. I agree. Well, I think we have to talk about the special levels in the game. And we had a post from Crabmaster on the forums about why is no one talking about the special levels? There's a few levels that aren't hack and slash. There is one that's a motorcycle level that is basically based on the game Outrun, 
also a Sega title, of course. And then there's another one where you're riding on a missile that's very reminiscent of the Sega game Space Harrier. So I just wanted to take a minute to discuss those. Yeah, so quite simply for me, I hated the motorcycle. I loved the missile. With the motorcycle, I kept running off the edge, and the actual checkpoints in that level weren't that great because it's all one long level. It's not chopped up into these tiny little verses. You have to do the whole level, and it's not checkpointed that generously, let's say. And there's these parts where it's really hard not to ride off the edge, and you're doing these huge jumps towards the end of the level. And that took me a couple of runs to get through that, and it was starting to get frustrating. The missile, though, it's really hard to get killed. Like, you're just flying <laughs> around, shooting. It's, it, it really is like a 3D shooter, and it's awesome. Yeah. In my opinion on this is I thought both were a little too long. It got a little repetitive. Even the missile, which I agree with you, I did like better than the motorcycle sequences. It seemed like all the patterns were the same each time. And uh, there were a few somewhat boss fights in there, which were good. But I don't know. It wasn't anything that really stood out for me. I could have done without them. Sorry, Krabby. <laughs> They're worth noting, though, too. especially Sure, absolutely. The- For the Sega references, that's just awesome. Yeah, I did like that kind of throwback, and I thought that was really, really neat. All right, moving on from gameplay, let's talk a little bit about the environments and the graphics of this game. As we mentioned, a good portion of this game takes place in Vigrid, Italy, but there's kind of a sub-level of this area where you can be in modern day life and then you can drop back into purgatory and you go back and forth sometimes. This idea of purgatory and another area called Paradiso, which is paradise, and then the Inferno area, which is basically hell. These are all taken from the book The Divine Comedy by Dante. It's a series of three books. And, you know, that was obviously an influence for this. Are those books that you've read before, Sean, uh, are very familiar with? I haven't read them, but I'm just as familiar as any layman, I guess I can say. You know what I mean? Like, I know what they are. I know kind of what they're about from school, but yeah, right. I definitely haven't read them. All right. So what did you think about the uh, the environments and the settings in this game? Uh, I thought they were really well done, and I should note that I played the Xbox 360 version on an Xbox One because this game is backwards compatible, mm-hmm. and I actually had the game digitally. I, it must have been a Games with Gold game at one point, and that's why Corey was able to play because I lent him my Xbox 360 copy. Cool. So, but... I thought the game looked really good. I don't know what kind of upscaling work they did to put it on the Xbox One. That varies from game to game. And I'm using an Xbox One S, so there's not always a lot of crazy upscaling work. That's usually done on the X. Mm-hmm. But having said all of that, I liked the environments and I thought everything looked really sharp. They weren't the absolute highest level of detail, but I think the kind of fantastical nature of some of the later levels and more of the space-themed levels kind of made up for it. Yeah. So, yeah, I enjoyed them. Could have been more detail, but I thought for what they were, for what kind of game this is, they were good. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Paradise levels, which are toward the end of the game, like you said. 
I was really astonished by the graphics. I thought they were beautiful. I'll mention also I was playing on PS3, and uh, I had heard that the Xbox 360, the graphics were much better on that, uh, and that there were some issues with the PS3. I didn't run into anything that I saw as an issue. Now, again, I'm not huge into modern gaming, so maybe someone with a better eye would see something that I didn't. But uh, yeah, I thought all the settings were awesome. I loved it. Even the enemies and the bosses, I thought, were very nicely detailed and, like I mentioned before, sort of grotesque and cool. Just the gameplay and the fighting scenes where they might spit something out of their mouth and you would just run down an arm or something and then, you know, hack at them. I just thought the game was just so well designed and really, really cool. It really made me feel like I was playing something beyond earthly, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, some of the stock enemies started to get samey throughout the game, mm-hmm. but the yeah. boss battles, they put it all on the table for those boss designs. They are imaginative and they're all unique and they're all like larger than life as far as graphically and design wise. They were amazing. Yeah. If there was one that I wasn't crazy about, it'd probably been the one in the water where you have to uh, surf around. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man, that was one of the ones I liked. The <laughs> oh, really? Actually, yeah. Okay. Was really cool. It was cool looking and everything, but I, I don't know. I found that part a tad bit annoying, you know, just having to kind of surf around and stuff. But yeah, to each his own. <laughs> Let's move on to the voice acting in the music. I think we have to talk about the voice acting in this game. Bayonetta was voiced by Helena Taylor. Just my opinion, but I thought she did a fantastic job. I really love the dialogue in this game. I thought it was well done, and I thought her voice really, really made this character. Oh, yeah. She's very unique. She's got that sharp British accent. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, Bayonetta is a character. That's just part of the package that makes her like a cut above. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And talking about the music, this was an original soundtrack. I'm not going to try to name these names. You have the outline in front of you. If you would like to read those, I would definitely love for you to do that so that they're not butchered by my rough southern accent. 
All right, here we go. We got Hiroshi Yamaguchi, Masami Ueda, Ray Kondo, Takayasu Sodioka, Norahiko Hibino, Takahiro Izutani, Yoshitaka Suzuki, Irino Niwa, and Naoto Tanaka. Awesome, man. Much better than what I could have done. (laughs) So, yeah, this was an original soundtrack, and uh, I found it, you know, just appropriate for the game. It was just really upbeat and fun, and uh, I didn't feel like I needed to put headphones on and listen to something else as I was playing this game. Yeah, I was actually listening to the soundtrack today because I wanted to refresh a little. And the part of the soundtracks that I remembered were the more jazzy, upbeat. It was kind of like when we were talking about Lunar Nights last month. I just really like jazzy, upbeat music and video games, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you think it fits more the themes of this game, even though... Yeah, it definitely game, do. It is kind of more comic booky. It's not supposed to be morbid, despite what we said about the story being this like light and dark battle thing. It's not gothic or morbid or anything. So the upbeat, jazzy colorful music is great but what i also discovered from listening to the soundtrack is there's some really good just like epic video game music in this video game you know what i mean like absolutely those orchestral battle themes that are just like dun 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 dun, dun you know like that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff is also really well done in this game to make like the intensity of some of those darker moments quite frankly uh seem serious and have gravity to them Absolutely. All right, so it's time for our final thoughts. I want to talk a minute about the final boss battle in this game. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to let you start. For those who don't know, and I mean, you should go play the game, but we spoil everything. Yeah. That's what we do here. So here we go. (laughs) Final boss battle. The thing about it is the credits roll and you might think you're done, but then there's more, you know? Yeah. Before that, the first final boss battle is like this god who rains down things on you and the camera perspective, you're in this like globe that keeps turning around and you have to run and hit the god's feet or hands or whatever they are and then disable those and then climb up the arms. It's this very involved and intricate boss battle. I liked it a lot, and then the credits roll, but then you're out in outer space, and you have to like destroy all the parts of this thing's body and fly around space, and I also like that, so I'm struggling to think of where you, <laughs> where it lost, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm interested in what you have to say about how you didn't like it as much as I did. You know, this game felt a lot to me like Lunar Nights. You know how you have this epic boss battle and you're like, oh, finally I beat this game. I'm sitting there with my phone. I'm taking pictures. And lo and behold... Damn, here comes another one, you know? The Father Balder battle was what I was referring to as a battle that felt like the last battle. Because you get this, you know, like I said, this James Bond villain feel. And you're like, oh, okay, this is it. And, you know, it's a long battle. It's a tough battle. And you beat him. And then you're fighting this giant space statue, you know? Yeah. Then, like you said, you're flying through space, which I died because I ran into a planet instead of steering into the sun, which I thought was ridiculous. 
even with that father balder fight you have to shoot a bullet at him and hit him in the head to end the fight i missed that twice and so i had to go back and fight him over and over again and uh I like the length of the game, but I just felt like there was just way too much at the end. There's one point where you start getting credits, and then you got to fight again. Yes. Uh, so I just felt like it was too much. I felt like it was just beating me down. I'm like, just end already. I just want to finish this game. Why are they doing this to me? I don't know. I know people don't have the same opinion as I do. I know you didn't. I don't think Crabmaster did either. I thought you guys liked it. But uh, those are just my thoughts, and I'm sure I may not be the only person who feels that way about the game. Well, I think it kind of plays to the game's over-the-top aesthetic that it That's went true. the way it did. And That's I a good think point. If, if that Father Balder fight was the final boss, it would have been a little underwhelming. We should explain when you say you have to shoot him at the end. It's not like in normal gameplay. There's like a weird cutscene-esque sequence where you have to actually guide the bullet in yes. first person, like in slow motion past glass that is flying at you. And you have to steer the bullet around so that it hits him in the head. And right. uh, I could see if you actually failed that a couple times, it getting frustrating, but Somehow or, you know, whatever, I was able to do it on my first try. So I was just kind of cruising into the next thing without getting frustrated. So maybe that colored my experience a little differently than yours. I like what you said about how the, the game's just so over the top. And maybe that's just their way of continuing to do that, you know, as you fight after, you know, you get some credits. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And you even can fight during the credits from what I remember, right? Oh, yeah, there's little uh, verses where you're running around, and I think you even get a ranking in those. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they never let up. <laughs> they don't. They really don't. All right, so I also want to talk about one more thing, and I think it's a big, big part of this game, and it is the sexiness of the game. It's in your face, and you can't talk about Bayonetta without delving into it. And so... For this segment, I asked our good friend Pam, who has a YouTube channel, Cannot Be Tamed. Pam is really good talking about female characters in video games. And so I wanted to get her opinion on what she thought about the character Bayonetta. Hey, Rich and Sean. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about the character of Bayonetta. In terms of the game, it's one that I wish I liked more than I do. I do really like Bayonetta as a character, and I like the cutscenes and the sort of campy factor of the game. However, in terms of actually playing it, the hack and slash action kind of makes my hands hurt, which is why I've never made it through the entire game. But what you actually asked me about was Bayonetta herself and how I felt about her as a character and especially her sexiness in the game. So first of all, I have to say that a character being sexy, a female character being sexy, doesn't automatically mean it's a bad character. Um, the trouble usually comes in when every female character is sexy. Uh, so Bayonetta herself was sort of the brainchild of two creators. One was a man and one was a woman. 
Hideki Kamiya is one of the creators, and it's clear from other characters he's made that he's definitely got a bit of a thing for hot, tall, dominatrixy looking women. So I think the sexiness was definitely in his head when he was creating her. The other creator was Mari Shimazaki, who thought of Bayonetta more as a female power fantasy and as a subversion of typical sort of female action hero cliches. What I like about Bayonetta's appearance and overt sexiness is that it seems like it's really a part of her character and she's the one in control. Now, obviously, she's a fictional character and artists and animators and writers are putting these words in her mouth and making her do these poses, but it's just such a part of who she is. It's not like in the game she's using her feminine wiles to get out of trouble or get her own way. It's something that she's basically got turned on all the time. So she's always very flirtatious. She's always very sexual in her poses. Her whole getup sort of represents that kind of dominatrixy, very sexual, very sort of outgoing personality. And it doesn't make it seem like she's ever really like being punished for being too sexy. She's not being taken advantage of. It's not one of those cases where, oh, she's sexy, but she doesn't know it, which makes her even more sexy. It's always like pushed right up front there. And again, I know she's fictional, but it seems like it's her idea that she's doing all these things. I also really like the subversion of some typically feminine characteristics. So, um, you know, things like high heels, long hair, butterflies, and like lipstick kiss marks. Those are all things that are generally thought of as very feminine. Some people associate femininity with weakness, but it sort of switches things around and makes those into her strength. So like her high heels, for example, if I see a woman running around in high heels in a movie or like in a fighting game or something, like take Jurassic World when Bryce Dallas Howard's character ran around the island in high heels for the whole time. I thought it was very stupid and a dumb decision, but this takes that and takes those uncomfortably high high heels and puts guns on them. So they actually become her weapons. Same with her hair, you know, long hair like that might not seem very practical and it flips it around and makes it her armor and also, I believe, uh, weapons in a way. So I really like how it sort of subverts that and takes these, you know, things that people see as just being attractive as opposed to useful and just makes them into part of her arsenal. I also like to think about how, you know, the typical person who is attracted to women actually feels about her. Like, is Bayonetta something that you just find very sexy and titillating? Or is she a character that is more intimidating? And those two things, attraction and intimidation, can definitely overlap. But I feel like since she has such exaggerated femininity, she's got like legs that look like they're about six feet tall. She's got hair down to there. She's always posing in certain ways. When the camera looks at her, it's not just a glimpse of cleavage, it's like right up in her crotch. So I'm just wondering, like, it's so overdone and so campy that I wonder, is it just like, oh yeah, she's hot? Or is it there a bit of a like intimidation? And like, I don't know how I feel about this factor when it comes to how attracted you are to Bayonetta's 
physical form. So yeah, when it comes down to it, I guess that I would say that Bayonetta can be both sort of fan servicey as well as empowering at the same time. She can be sexy, she can be made for people to, you know, look at her in that kind of way, but she can also be very empowering in terms of how she uses that sexiness and how it's just sort of part of her character and kind of makes her who she is. So thanks, guys. Have a good rest of the podcast. So as usual, an incredible character analysis by our good friend Pam. When I was playing this game, my wife was watching in the background, and I kind of had these mixed feelings about the character Bayonetta. And so I asked her, I said, what do you think about this character? You know, I mean, you and I could talk about this all day, but... I feel like, you know, with female characters, a lot of times it's good to get a female perspective. And my wife said, you know, I think she's kind of a cool, strong character. I like what I see. Yeah, I mean, her dress is a bit sexy, but it's not bad. And she's a bit empowering in a way. That was kind of my thoughts, too, about this character. I was a bit on the fence. There's some times where I felt like, yeah, I mean, this character's really sexy, and that's who she is, and, you know, that's very empowering. But there were a few instances in the game where I was like, mm, maybe that's a little bit too much. Yeah, I agree. I like a few things that Pam touched on there, and I think your wife was kind of thinking in the same wavelength in that everything that Bayonetta does, she has her own agency. None of this mm -hmm. is being put on her, which was a very good point by Pam. Like Bayonetta is doing her own thing, playing by her own rules. And to just kind of segue into the other point that and the question that Pam brought up, which is, is she intimidating or attractive or both? And I think it's both. It's weird. This was a really good question from Pam because when I look at Bayonetta, I'm not looking at oh, a drooling anime waifu. I'm looking at a very just powerful person. You know, she's like an alpha. And I know we usually use the word alpha to describe alpha males, but like Bayonetta's a freaking alpha. Like I said, absolutely she's the top dog in this game. The other thing I want to just real briefly touch on was Pam had mentioned Hideki Kamiya has kind of a type when he designs female characters. And I think that's a really good point. I do kind of like when male designers are like kind of unapologetic about this kind of stuff. And another example I'd like to bring up is Yoko Taro, who made the Nier games. When he was asked about the character of 2B, she's not as sexily clad as... Bayonetta, but she is wearing a skirt and you can look up it if you make her climb a ladder or whatever. She's an android, but she has a beautiful figure. You know what I mean? So somebody asked Yoko Taro, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, hey, why'd you have to make 2B a hot chick? And he said, because I love hot chicks. And that was his answer. Sometimes that's what is called for you know what i mean <laughs> like right and i i really feel that you know a lot of the time it's like i forget which kevin smith movie it was but when jay just goes i love women <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know where i'm going with this but again just being generally attracted to women and what it is that makes bayonetta special again i think pam touched on really well your wife picked up on it the agency and choice is just 100% hers. And yeah. she's just 
in control of everything at all times. That's who she is, right? right? That's her character. And I totally agree with that. And I think another thing that Pam touched on is that the other designer of Bayonetta was female. And so I think it strikes a good balance in this character. It's definitely something I can appreciate. Now, there were a few times that I, I did think it went a little beyond the lines, and I'll oh, just yeah. mention those. No, I'm glad you brought this, because we almost let it go, and I wanted to say something about that as well. So yeah. yeah. Every time you leave Gates of Hell, you've got this like little shimmy walk that you have to watch. You know, there's just a focus on her rear end. There's a few times where the camera pans up through the crotch that's a little strange. And then one of the things that maybe was the more odd thing to me is like, we didn't mention this, but when you destroy some enemies, they drop weapons and you can pick those weapons up. Well, one of the enemies, I think it's one of the different types of angels has like a staff and you can do this special move where you just kind of swing around the staff and it's like a stripper pole. Yeah, it looks like a pole dance. You're right. Oh, absolutely. It definitely is. And so, you know, while I think the character has a good balance and I love the character in this game. I think she's awesome and very empowering. I think there are just a few little touches that might be a bit over the line that I don't want to say they're distasteful, but they bother me a bit. I say that as a person who I love my wife. I have a daughter. When I was in college, maybe these things wouldn't have bothered me as much and I would think that's cool. But, you know, having a young daughter and kind of seeing some of that, I don't know. It, affects me in a different way yeah you know it's funny i think i've told you in texts a few times that i find myself becoming more conservative on a personal level than i ever thought i would be in my life just in having this conversation i can see there's varying degrees of it between you and i because Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason i don't mind the shimmying kind of waddling the butt walk out of the shop But I agree with you on the pole dance thing, and I totally agree on the crotch shot thing. I really didn't understand. I mean, I guess I understand why they're there, but this is where it's like varying degrees of personal preference come into play. Sure. I'll give you another anecdote. I was at an anime convention a couple of years ago, and Caitlin Glass was giving a panel. She's a voice actress for anime. And somebody asked her, are there any works that you've done that you really don't like? Her answer was interesting. She said, there are some anime that I think just don't connect with me and don't do anything for me on any level. And she even named one by name, this anime called Freezing. I actually watched it with my wife because we wanted to see what she was talking about. There's a lot of nudity in it. It's pretty lewd. It's not hentai pornography, but it's kind of tasteless. But Caitlin Glass in this panel, she said... I won't dump on that anime because that's somebody's favorite anime. Like somebody out there loves that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think there's people out there who love Bayonetta, crotch shots and all. So you and I have a little bit of a different viewpoint on it where we say those kind of tweak me the wrong way. They kind of trigger me a tiny bit for lack of a better word. Like there's something about that. Like it's a little tasteless, a little too lewd, you know? Yeah, that's why like this is one of the discussions I had with my wife was like what lines should be drawn when games are made or whatever. And like I said, I'm an anarchist. She's very libertarian. Like we don't (laughs) think there should be any laws regarding the making of art or video games or whatever. Yeah, no. 
but she was saying like it's just like kind of what i'm saying it's up to your personal preference you know do your research play the game if it's offending you turn it off voice your opinion do a podcast go on twitter you know and she said if you're a child it should be your parents uh, responsibility to do that for you which i also think is a a good point absolutely I think it's it's really up to to every individual, and we're kind of getting out in the weeds here. But this is something I was thinking about a lot because I always used to think, like Yoko Taro said, "I love hot chicks, bring it on," you know what I mean. But the more I've thought about this over the years, and like some games I've played that like really pushed limits of what I thought was like comfortable mm-hmm. for me. And Bayonetta has a couple little moments like we just talked about. But for the most part, I think it was just very well done and well represented. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. For me, it was just like a bit of an uncomfortable moment. It didn't take away anything from the game for me. But for me, it just felt a little out of place. But I wouldn't say that anything was like super distasteful or lewd or anything like that. But... I don't know, man. It just kind of took me out of the game for a moment. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Pam, for uh, doing that segment for us. Like I said, if you want to check out more Pam, go on YouTube, Cannot Be Tame. Fantastic channel that you should definitely subscribe to. All right. We're down to our one-word description of the game. Do you want to go first, Sean, or do you want me to? Uh, I think I'll go first. So my word, and it ties into the music and kind of the freestyle improvisation of the game, is jazz. I think the game's jazzy. It's flashy, it's smooth, but it's also improvisational, kind of unpredictable. It can get larger than life. I don't know. I'm doing the best I can here with these one-word things. But uh, <laughs> That's a great word. All right, cool. Well, uh, what's yours? Mine is a word that I would say both meanings of this word apply to this game, and that word's fantastic. It's fantastic in that it's so much fun to play, and uh, just had such a good time with it, and it's beautiful, but then also fantastic in the sense of fantasy, right? It takes you to this other, like, worldly place, and I love it. Uh, It's just beautiful, and a fun world to be in, and like I said before, I love that you're fighting like angels and virtues and things like that. They don't look like angels like you have this idea of what they would look like and everything's just so grotesque and uh, fantastical and uh, yeah, it's just really, really cool. Cool. Well, I have some separate final thoughts from my one word description, if I may. Absolutely. Bayonetta as a game revisiting it, I had a much the same experience as Bioshock. And because I played Bayonetta and Bioshock the first time, probably around the same time. And at the time I was blown away by them completely coming back to Bayonetta. I loved it, but I started to see its faults in such similar ways to when we had our Bioshock conversation that it really hit me like, wow, I wonder if some of these games that I played, like my experience the first time around was valid for sure, but I got to be careful with my rose tinted glasses. You know what I mean? And replaying these games has been a real instructive experience. So I didn't really touch on it in the gameplay segments but i 
I did have moments of frustration where I couldn't figure out what to do. I might be pretty stupid, but there were times when they introduced a skill and then I forgot to use the skill, even though it was like two seconds later. I feel like that's on me to a certain extent, but then like, I don't know, there's one part where you learn the witch run to run up a wall and then you Uh, do this like long fight and then there's a gap and I had forgotten, oh, I'm supposed to run up a wall and I was like jumping around for like 10 minutes trying to figure out what to do, trying to get over this gap and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. They told me two minutes ago before this fight that made me forget (laughs) about it that I'm supposed to run up the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I had moments like that as well. Yeah, so I do unequivocally recommend that people play this game, but it's just weird that I had almost a parallel experience to our Bioshock situation, which was like, when I played it at the time, I thought it was one of the greatest games ever made. Playing it again, I still think it's a great game, but I can see its faults like so much more clearly now. Mm-hmm. But as my final word, I definitely recommend it. And I can't wait. I'm going to play Bayonetta 2 as soon as possible. And I'll be talking about that in a future show for sure. Cool. I think it's odd that the first Bayonetta was put out on mostly all Generation 7 consoles. But between Generation 7 and 8, it's strictly a Nintendo license. I I don't know what the reason is for that. I haven't done the research on that. Nintendo picked it up like Bayonetta 2 was going to get scrapped, Hmm. but Nintendo picked it up and they said, we'll publish it on the Wii U and they saved Bayonetta basically. Now it's surviving into the Switch, which is amazing. Isn't that so surprising that Nintendo would be the one to pick up a hack and slash video game because they're usually more family oriented. I'm glad they did, obviously. Yeah. They had that deal with Platinum and Sega on the Wii with um, Mad World and all those other games. Right. So they had that established relationship already. So I think that helped them a bit. But yeah, that is one of those things. And it's funny, I listened to one of our older episodes the other day about The Last Guardian and how I said I was grateful that The Last Guardian actually came out. Like, I feel the same way about Bayonetta as a series and Bayonetta 2 and now Bayonetta 3 is going to be made, where at a time when Bayonetta 2 was very likely to be canceled, but Nintendo saved it. You know what I mean? So I'm very grateful for that. I would really love to play Bayonetta 2 at some time. And what I understand, it's, it's either out or going to come out on the Switch. Bayonetta 2 is on the Switch. I have it. The Wii U is not a system that I've intended on collecting for or even owning because I feel like everything is being transferred over to the Switch anyway. So I would rather have that once I end up getting a Switch. Yeah, it's a series that uh, I look forward to playing down the road at some point. I had a lot of fun with it. I love the character Bayonetta. And for me, this was sort of a redemption for Platinum Games after Transformers as the game that I was most disappointed in last year that we played. And uh, I thought Transformers was a beautiful game, but the action and everything and the repetitiveness of the game got on my nerves. It's very similar to Bayonetta, like we mentioned the Witch Time and stuff like that, but there's just something about Bayonetta that is better than Transformers and just done so much better. I thought it was a really fun game, and uh, it's one that I would highly recommend to friends. 
All right. Well, I guess then we can get into our next couple of months worth of games. And I'll take March because as you hear this, you should be grinding away at the original <laughs> Dragon Warrior. And uh, there's a lot of good action going on on the forums. Yes. Uh, Rich, I finished the game last week. You are closing in on the ending. Yep. Level 19. I've got all the uh, top weapons and armor. So join us, fired up. Even if you're coming in late, just play the game. It's worth playing. And, uh, oh man, next month the podcast is going to be so great. I got so many things to talk about with Dragon Warrior. It's such a special game to me. And uh, I really can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be a fun discussion. And I think, like we said uh, on the last show, this is a game that is very near and dear to both of our hearts. So it should be a great discussion next month. Or should I say it will be a great discussion next month? Yes. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and announce what we're playing in April. I just finished up the site news today and it's going out tomorrow. And I put a little hint of what these games are going to be up in the forums. I don't think anyone's guessed it yet. We're playing two games in April. Both are adventure puzzle platformers and both by the same developer, Play Dead. So get ready to play Limbo and Inside. Now, Sean, have you played either of these games before? Yes, I played Limbo quite a long time ago, but it's a game you never forget. So actually, in contrast to... These other games that like Bayonetta and Bioshock that kind of faded in my mind and I just had very nice memories of them. Man, Limbo is an unforgettable experience. But having said that, I'm ready to play it again. And I've never played Inside, but I have a copy on the way. I bought that two pack for the PlayStation 4. Yep. And um, I'm really excited to replay Limbo and then play Inside with everybody. Absolutely. I think I already have that on the PlayStation 4 myself. So that's definitely the format I will be playing it in. I'm a little surprised that you're excited about playing these games as they are puzzle games. And I know that's a genre that you don't really lean heavily toward. Yeah, I know Inside is supposed to be a little more complicated than Limbo, but Limbo, as far as the puzzle elements, are not super complicated. Okay. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's a lot of like moving boxes around and almost like this kind of stuff from Child of Light, like trying to figure out how to get up there or over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also to not get killed. All right. Well, puzzles are my thing. I love games like this, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. The art style and from what I hear, the music is superb in these games and kind of a little eerie. And as a fan of horror films... It's right up my alley. So looking forward to April as well.
for another episode thanks for listening and thank you for participating in the playthrough and an extra special thanks to pam for recording a special statement for us in april we're taking on two morbid indie platformers from Playdead studios as we creep our way through limbo and inside these games are available on most major platforms and pc Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast. It's time for Angel Attack!